everybody. This is William Butler from Friday the 13th Part 7, Night of the Living Dead 1990, Ghoulies 2, and Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, which, by the way, the Black Lodge are reviewing. So why don't you download it now, and let's all keep our fingers crossed that they're nice to me in the review, or I will come to the Black Lodge with the chainsaw and show them what time it is. Download it now. Thanks, guys. I love you all. I love you all. Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting mouthpiece of the Southeast. Brandon A. Lane bringing you a new edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. Happy New Year, Rant Army! New Year, New Decade! We have got some big things on the horizon for the podcast, and there's no better way to ring in 2020 than with the intro you heard at the top of this episode from horror movie legend himself, William Butler. Now listen, acting career aside, and he's had a doozy, William's just an incredibly cool guy, and I want all of you out there in the Rant Army to give him a follow on Twitter, at FilmDogBillyB, and he can also be found at Transitional Entertainment. Com. Now, once you followed him, you got to do the same for us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Rants Black Lodge. Subscribe to the podcast on one of the many platforms we're available on, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Player FM, iHeartRadio. And don't forget to stop by our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. Don't get too comfortable because the New Year's festivities are just getting started. And when we get back from these messages from our sponsors, I'll be sitting down with my good friend, Production designer extraordinaire the great Mick Strawn stay tuned everybody brain dead hello I'm Chantel the assistant manager of brain dead network brain dead network is a film and podcast promotion company that is dedicated in bringing you the best content we promote and market films from talented filmmakers and we also work with podcasts to give them more of an audience if you would like to know more about Braindead Network, please visit our website, braindeadnetwork.home.blog, and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out our awesome podcasts, B-Movie Drive-In, Beyond the Crypt, Rants from the Black Lodge, and Hellhounds of Horror. Come visit us if you dare. Brain dead. All right, Ran Army, making his valiant and long-awaited return to the Black Lodge, I give to you the bad boy of production design himself, the man, the myth, the legend, all rolled into one, Mixtron! <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Easy there. Hi. Got to crank it out. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> so what's Ex up? As always, sir. Well, what's up is we're uh, going to be conversing about a film you worked on, the often forgotten classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Leatherface. So uh, let's let's talk about the original film before we get to part three. Um, were you well aware of the esteem that has been thrown on the original one when you took on the job, or was it just another job, another day in the life of Mixtron? Day in the life, I guess, you know, um, you, you have to understand. Let me tell you something. 
Tell me when, something, brother. When we were working, horror film a horror film was the lowest possible form of life in Hollywood. The only thing below us was porn actors, and it was really, really close. And then right above that was right above that was um, agent uh, lawyers, right? You know, that was wow. that way down there. I mean, way, way down there. And so to say steam and stuff like that, I I don't know. It was just I, I really didn't I didn't consider <laughs> things that way. You, you know what? Here's here's the thing. If you know me, I mean, and me specifically, is all you have to do is present me with a problem or present me and say, you don't say things like, um, hey, I got this and this to film and you're going to be working with so and so and so and so. This has never meant anything to me. But if you presented a problem, if you came up and said, hey, we're going to we're going to need to be we're going to need to make Texas here and we're going to be filming in about five weeks. And and I would go well. We'll do this and this. We'll move this and this. And and that's the way that I think about things. So I I don't know that steam is the thing. Um, I do know that I did work with Toby Hooper, um, Freddy's Nightmares, uh, TV series. Yes, the uh, the pilot episode, right? Uh, that has about Freddy's backstory, right? And I don't know if he was not doing particularly well right then, but he was absolutely incommunicable incommunicable i mean just i'm supposed to have a meeting with toby hooper right and i and i get get in the room and, and i'm and he walks in and he goes oh yeah uh, mr strong okay okay make um uh you know uh i'm trying to uh, we want to uh get get a scope uh going um yeah, and um, um, I I really need you to uh, to help me to uh, f- focus uh, on on the scope of, uh, and it went on and on and on and I never understood a word the guy said and he just went on and on and on and I was like and I'm not saying it like I was better than him or anything like that I just had work to do. Right. <laughs> I had work to do it and this didn't help at all. Whatever <laughs> this is, this isn't helping me. <laughs> and and then he left and, and and we got on with whatever it was we were doing. <laughs> That's that might actually be a theme of my life, come to think of it. Do, do you think you perform better without the watchful eye? Uh maybe having a little more uh the mice will play when the cat's away kind of approach to things? Yes. <laughs> that that's unequivocal but and then and then the thing is is later on then uh, you know by the time i was working on that i i was learning the ropes of of how you i want i want to say manipulate your way through a through a show it's because that's what you do <laughs> you know your job here's the thing one way or the other, your name is the one that's on the film, right? As the production designer. And I always played it as kind of a percentage to a certain extent. Like I wanted to make like 80% of my ideas and how I wanted it to look. If I could get 80% and pull it into a cognizant look, then I thought I did pretty good. And I considered my tools to be, I considered my scope to be everything. 
you know, absolutely everything. Because if if the DP is shooting through pastel gels and you're doing blood and guts and gore, you know. The color is going to be off? Well, let's just say that, you know, I didn't sign up to do uh, My Little Pony in the Garden. <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't know. I might have been interested in seeing that movie. Mick Strong's to, come, My Little come Pony. To, come to think of it. <laughs> let's get that 20, trending on Twitter. Mick Strong's put, My Little hey, Pony. Wait, put a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is being a production designer has to do with with pulling it all together. I mean, you're not a production designer. If you just go in and do some sets, you have to tie your sets to the lighting, to the wardrobe, to the, uh, you know, you're in charge of the look of the film to the locations. And, and the thing is, is I would also get involved in shots. You know, how did your shots line up? Um, how are we supporting each other in getting a look to this film? I mean, there's a reason that nightmare on street three and four look, like they do. Um, it's, oh, and just for the record, the, the word you're looking for is excellent. Not to not to kiss your ass, but they both look... I think those movies look the best in the series. There's no disrespect <laughs> to the other ones, but they those two look the best. Unequivocally. I was going to let that one stand all by itself. I didn't... Uh, I I didn't need to put a pin in that. <laughs> but but what I'm saying is 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 that part of my... of, of a look has to do with how you do everything because as the production designer, you want the special effects to look particularly well. You want everything to blend together. You know, you want, um, you want the lighting to blend together. You want the camera moves to blend with what you're, with what you're doing. You know, it's part of everything. And if you don't think of it that way, um, you're not going to be a production designer. Because you were, as you've made it so eloquently clear, really had your hands in, just about everything to do with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 and the other films that you've worked on. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 had a historically crazy production. Jeff Burr kind of being the last man on the totem pole getting hired and he was turned around and fired and rehired. And there was just bumping of heads from, from the get go. Did that trickle down into your field or were you left? No, I love Jeff. I mean, Jeff was great. (laughs) Jeff and I were kind of a lot alike. (laughs) (laughs) And, and and the the really funny thing is is that the the, the DP was a uh, very um was very pristine and he was more of a um his concept overall was kind of like I paint with light mm. right here's what paint with light means <laughs> paint with light means that I take 3 hours to set up every freaking shot you can't move the camera around because I want it to look just I think that he wasn't possibly wasn't the right DP for the job. We wound up trying to make it down and dirtier than than he ever really wanted it. I mean, as far as uh, chaos of what was going on, I was creating my own chaos. I still wanted it to look a certain way and, and, and the prop masters were my people and most of the special effects people were my people. And it's, it's like I kept seeing pictures of the mask, for instance, right? And the mask was looking like, a, it was looking very rubbery. And they said, well, you know, it'll be better when we paint all the stitches and stuff like that and i go yeah but i know what painted stitches look like Uh, it winds up looking like a little bit like frankenstein because even frankenstein never actually looked like there was anything sewed in his neck it looked like an appliance didn't it so pretty pretty damn good for 
No, 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 no. Great. I mean, in the beginning of the concept and all, but this was in 1930. This was all the way up in the 80s. So I no 90s. Why do I say 90s? Yeah, 1990. So, so I went over to the K and B, and the great thing about K and B at that time was this: is that as you pulled up, you pulled up into the parking lot, and um, three quarters of the parking space is taken up by uh, various stages of buffalo, and there are buffalo everywhere. There's buffalo everywhere, so just making it through the the shop underneath that udder and uh, push the buffalo with the beard on wheels out of the way, you know, and get and and there's a guy and he's um he's working on the face and I go uh, cool um yeah here's what we're gonna do and I grabbed the pair of scissors pair of shears they had there i just cut it up into pieces and said yeah now take that and sew it the fuck back together and then i got my car and i left (laughs) wow i i didn't realize that you were uh that hands-on with the with the mask (laughs) that's what it takes (laughs) sometimes it's what it takes but i thought i thought it was a really good mask for that i it's definitely in the top three yeah there you go i thought it was uh the original was really super creepy oh yeah second one i didn't understand all that well I love Tom Savini, but it, it does look like a foam latex appliance. It does. It, it, it looks, and the thing is, is I didn't want that to happen again. And it looked like we were heading towards that, right? So I figured if we, if I cut up the ones that they were using right there, then they'd have to sew them back together. They didn't have enough time to remold them. I was like, ha, ha, ha. How often do you find yourself in that kind of situation on a film set of just kind of having to just a quick shot, fix all kind of moment? I have a lot of those moments because I'm a really fast thinker on set. Think, oh, well, let's take this and this and this. It was something that I, I particularly learned about special effects is that you have to stand there and on the first take, you're going to blow it. It's not going to work. And what you have to be able to do is, as the coordinator, you have to be able to what? Know what happened. Know what happened without any kind of prejudice. If you sit there and you ask people what happened, in effect, doesn't work. If you have to ask people, you're never going to get there, right? Because they're going to come, you know, if you ask the guy who built, um, let's say that we had a glove that, that you know, has to spark. If you ask a guy who built the glove itself, you know, it has the spark when it hits a pipe. Um, he's going to say, well, the glove worked fine. And the guy who put the pipe up is going to say, well, the pipe is right. And see what I, I'm saying? I got you. Everybody's protecting their, their, their own scenario. Yeah, right. And, and the thing is, is first of all, it has to not matter to you. You have to, who, who like, fucked up? Right. Well, and it's not even a matter of that. You have to look at it. Like if I had to start from scratch right now, and I had 10 minutes to fix this from scratch, what would I have to do? And I got to tell you something. Sometimes your whole crew can just be against you, and you go, yeah, no, but but you're all wrong. <laughs> you're all wrong. <laughs> this, this is either not going to work and we need to change it, or this, the change isn't what you guys think or something like that. You have to know that the number one thing that you're doing is you were looking at it without any prejudice. You're looking at what happen that's what you got to be as far as the uh the legacy of texas chainsaw massacre 3 is concerned and now that i have a deeper appreciation for what goes into you know the set design and all of that the look of this film really sets it apart from a lot of other horror films especially during the time but i'm just curious is there anything specifically that you worked on in this film that you're particularly proud of i just love the whole bone decor and the little girl with the skeleton dolly and some of the things that i really really appreciate is that we didn't overdo it as you were walking into the house i wanted it to look abandoned until you came around the corner and looked in the kitchen and i didn't want it to have like a bunch of bones laying here and and 
you know, be like walk through corpses. <laughs> they they kind of did that on number two. You know, I mean, they went well, they, way they, outrageous. They, and I wanted to, I wanted to pull it back. And I, as you walk in, there's uh, some jars with a light shining through uh, jars that are sitting around. And 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 I wanted to put things in the jars that weren't disgusting, but just kind of looked disgusting. For instance, pickled eggs in red, pickled eggs in red sauce, in beet sauce, right? There, there was a couple of jars of those up there. And the thing is, is that's something that you see in every bar. And yet you put it in that place and you're going, oh, well, what's that? Is it eyeballs? <laughs> no, it's pickled eggs, right? But horror is the thing that you don't see out of the corner of your eye. In other words, if... If I see something really weird over here and then I look at it, I don't want it to be, I, I want it to be, you know, it's like the old trick of, uh, what is Bloomhouse? Bloomhouse has always got some shot of somebody moving in front of the camera real fast, right? It's a Bloomhouse classic. It's like, what's that? Right. You know, but if you looked at somebody and there was somebody right there going, ah, well, that'd just be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> So the whole the whole idea of this film was that, especially as you approached it originally, you didn't want to have to look horrible, but it didn't also have to make sense. Like when you came around the corner and you saw the kitchen and you see an industrial, a kind of dirty, funky looking kitchen with Bill there with the hammer up and stuff. But just the fact that there's an industrial kitchen inside of this house freaks you out a little. It definitely set a tone that I think that a lot of the later sequels have struggled to be able to really nail down in a, an effective way. Well, yeah, I'll give you an example. An example of this also. When you see the bone art, quote unquote, it's not art. I mean, it's not. It's like. It's like, here's a bone, and it's just barely sticking inside of a skull, right? And the two of them are roped together oddly, right? If you look at if you look at the third, at the more modern leather face, when they go inside of the barn, everything that's up is, is balanced, and it looks like real art pieces. And I swear to God, I kept thinking that they had just, they, they had walked into a theme boutique, right? <laughs> You, you definitely have a point there. But 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 contrary to that, I do think what you achieved in this movie is art. And, and to me, it is because of sort of the asymmetry, less is more approach to it. To me, that right. feels more real. Well, there, there was one thing that was definitely more is more, but we couldn't really duplicate it the, the way that I wanted it. And that was the bathroom at the very beginning, the disgusting bathroom. Oh, in the, uh, the gas station? Yeah. That bathroom was based on a specific bathroom. We didn't even get close to that bathroom. When I was growing up, my... My dad, um, he always worked on his own cars, right? Yeah. And, and because of that, you know, he, he would go down to this place that, you know, this was before um, O'Reilly's Auto Parts and, and AutoZone Auto and all Zone. that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, this is way before all that, right? You know, because Auto Parts stores were basically run by mechanics who would hurt their backs, you know? <laughs> the, the bathroom in back, the place where a bunch a bunch of guys went to masturbate and and to uh, <laughs> oh, and, and to go to the bathroom. What the room was is you opened the door and there were cutouts from Playboys and and Hustlers and uh, other magazines like that, and they were so, glued so close together, glued on the walls like like an enormous um like decoupage, like decoupage. The whole bathroom was, and they were so close together that there was no space between them, like like. Like archaeological dig is what it was like, right? Everywhere. And yet, 
Like as you walked in, there was a urinal here, and all the, the urinal and the toilet and the sink all had this this one look to them, which was like they were just disgustingly brown and and really truly disgusting, except for where the water was leaking all the time and was running down the back of it, right? And that created a little white streak with uh, green edges. All this duplicated in that bathroom. And, and there was always that spot on the wall where the guy put his hand, you know, like this. Ah! You, you're grossing me out just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was trying to get to in that bathroom. And the thing is, is we just never had time the ultimate disgusting bathroom. Because <laughs> it's still out there. I'll get to make that someday. <laughs> well, I, I certainly hope you get your chance. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I, I've come to, to love about you isn't even movie related. Well, I guess in a way it is. And that's your podcast that I have become a huge fan of over the past oh. year. Um, if you want to give just a little truncated uh, uh, overview of what you do there, and then let's talk a little bit about your other podcast you started over the course of this year. You're a man Dream. of many, many hats. There you go. Dream Warrior Reviews is kind of a review pod, kind of a review. We try and pick all the current films that we give a shit about and go back and pick up some old ones every once in a while and try and surprise you. Kurt Thomas and I will uh, start a review. They start up pretty normal and uh, they tend to... <laughs> they tend to go way off the rails. They tend to go way off the rails because something will remind me of something and something. And and and, and to tell you the truth, little part of all those podcasts where, where I kind of go off the rails became Rabbit Hole, which was the... Well, I've become a big fan of it as well because you spin a very interesting yarn. That that podcast, it, it's a humor podcast. Uh, right. So those of you that out there who haven't uh, jumped on board the, the crazy train of mixed drawing, <laughs> I think both of these podcasts both share one thing in common, and that's just your art as a storyteller. My favorite segment from Dream Warrior Review is Storytime with Mick. <laughs> Wait, hey, I got to tell you something. Tell me something. Part, part of the success of story time with Mick is Kurt is the engineer, and he specifically put that together. Uh, that that story time with Mick. He <laughs> he did it's that so with creepy. It. It's it so is so creepy. creepy. It's his daughter. <laughs> that, oh really? Okay. Yeah, it's his daughter that he went and recorded, put all that together. It's it's genius. It really is. Kurt's a genius. Kurt. Kurt Kurt always brings little sounds and stuff, pieces into a uh, Dream Warrior review that really make it totally. You know? uh, speaking of Kurt, he finally got on Facebook, so good for him. He and did, he, finally. And he revealed his face, which was a big uh, a thing to, to me and my friends <laughs> there for a while. Then, what does this motherfucker look like? Right. And, and now we know. <laughs> but going back to uh, story time with Mick, before we uh, close up shop uh, here for uh, another edition of um, the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, Interviews Mixtron, I want to uh, recount something in our, our Facebook group. I had posted something, this has been months ago about John Waters. And of course, right. you you being you, you comment on there like, oh, I have a great John Waters story. And I'm like, do not comment this story. You save that for this podcast. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna open the floor right now and please regale me with your story. We were we were doing a, a bunch of uh bits and pieces for a show and I can't remember 
we were over at the New Line Cinema offices. The thing is, is sometimes you would do pieces. We were doing uh, Austin Powers. Oh, right? uh, Mike, Mike Myers. Uh, Austin Mike Powers. Myers. Yes, yes, yes. There was a scene. There's a scene at the end of it that was kind of shoehorned in. And it's with him walking, him and her walking naked around the room. We were doing the art direction for that because it was going to be shoehorned in. And they literally brought me from another New Line Cinema film, uh, probably Blade, and said, well, we need this and this and this done. Uh, we need you to deal with the effects on it. And I said, OK, OK. The meeting is right now. It's in the next room. And the meeting <laughs> was it was just kind of a thrown together thing. And. One of the things that they were working on was the release of the John Waters film that he did for New Line um, about the high school hairspray. Here's elements of the people who are working on hairspray, the people that are working on Austin Powers, and the people that are working on Blade in this room, right? And one of them is one of the one of the directors is one of the uh, producers is um, Jerry Olson. Jerry Olson's a really good friend of mine, but he has this. Uh, He's always had been super, he has to look meticulous, right? And the only way that he could look mat meticulous was to like slick back his hair because uh, that was his look. It was a little bit older than any of us were used to. You, you know what I mean? I mean, the I days, you. you know, sort of like the, think of the rolled up cigarette pack and the sleeve and the combing the hair back, right? Like, like the fawns. Right. That's that's how his hair looked. Imagine the fawns, you know, in a really, really expensive suit that you know his suits always glowed you know they they mm -hmm. would have a shiny aspect to them you know and so <laughs> all these production people including john waters are sitting in in this meeting right so there's about 15 of us sitting there and and we go <laughs> we're going down the list uh yeah we're doing pickups for this and pickups for this and pickups for this this <laughs> all of a sudden we're in the middle of it and Ra i think rachel Talley was actually one who was trying to uh force the meeting through because she was working on hairspray and she was trying to get the allocation of like all these bits and pieces and john waters has not said a word to anybody and he's over here in the corner and he's like drinking a cup of coffee and all of a sudden he just he looks across the table at at jerry and he goes hey jerry and jerry's yeah. How do you get your hair to do that? <laughs> and Jerry goes, well, what do you mean? I, I, I mean, is, is that like a plastic? Is it like a, I mean, does DuPont, does DuPont make that? And Jerry, who is the world's most uptight human being, just is going, oh, I, uh, uh, and <laughs> Waters is all over him. It just, you know, Waters is like not, you know how quick that guy is, right? Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, my I God. I would never want John Waters just attacking me out of the blue about something that that he had absolutely correctly identified as the most important part of Jerry Olson's day is how his hair looked. And he was going for it, man. I got to tell you something. It was so hard not to just crack up and because, well, what's wrong? I, what do you mean by hair? Just, yeah. I... <laughs> I mean, can you get a comb through that thing? He said, "Oh yeah, you really could, couldn't you?" <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> the thing is, so, like, I can I can see in my head him oh, doing right, this, right? Yeah. You could totally. It was, and, and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm sitting here at the table, and I got to see John Waters do the most John Waters thing I could possibly imagine. 
Wow. Well, that's absolutely amazing. You've lived a an interesting life, and I'm looking forward to the projects you have coming up. Let's touch on that real quick before we close up shop. Now, little Birdie has told me that you might be working on a follow-up to your book, True or False? I am. Funny thing about that is... Uh... We kept trying to think to, I was thinking with uh, T.J. Bowser. trying From, to your, think, from your other podcast. From, my, uh, from Rabbit Hole, right? Rabbit Hole. And he kept, he's been bugging me to make an um, uh, audio book out of it, right? Oh, I, I think that would be great. Well, you see, the problem is, is if I made an audio book out, out of it, it would be just essentially just doing it again. I mean, because I'm pretty sure it would just barely have any recognizable relationship to the book itself. I am a storyteller, right? You know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just, just give us 12 volumes of it. And... That's exi- that's what would happen. The thing that I finally had an, the idea of, and this is what we're working on, is we're working on taking a whole bunch of the stories that I've told uh, about the book and stories that I've told o- over the years. We're collecting some, the audio to some of these stories and what we're going to do is we're going to animate. Them. Oh wow, I'm I'm very interested in this. And and, and run the and and put them together as a fit motion picture that I narrate. How I'm much, sold. Take yeah. my fucking money now. <laughs> Take, my, Take money. my money now. <laughs> what we want to do is we want to do. Uh, we don't want to do the same animation. Every 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 uh, story is a different animator. We were looking at that, and I think it's. It's a hilarious idea. There's a, a Wesley Snipes, Snipes story that I always tell that would be so funny to be animated. It, it would be amazing from Blade. You've told me off the record about your uh, horrendous time working on Blade, so I can only imagine the stories for it would be uh, quite interesting. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the Rhinon Brothers story? I don't believe so. No. Oh! <laughs> you want to hear it? Tell me, yeah. Okay. Unload. If, if you got time, we'll... we'll, we'll I, I got we'll, the time. I got okay. the time. I, wor- I worked effects on on Blade, and there was a day where we were um, and we were doing ball hits and stuff like that, and we were shooting downtown L.A., and we were shooting we were shooting L.A. for New York, as we always do, on the rooftop of an eight-story building, or a ten-story building, that is right next to a 12-story building, and we were using the 12-story building was the building that had the access to get onto the roof, onto the 10-story building. And so in a weird way, it kind of gave us position to put lights. And there was like a, an access stair uh, went down the, from one building to the other on the outside, yeah. go from one rooftop to the other. Now, so Wesley Snipes had an entourage, right? Probably pretty much imagine a Wesley Snipes entourage, and that's what his entourage was. So every time he was... Coming onto set, first initial mm, onto the set, they would come in, march in formation, kind of together onto the set, and Wesley Snipes would raise his fists in the power, and they'd all raise their fists like, and Wesley Snipes would go right on, and they drop it, and everybody go about their business, right? We're so used to that kind of crap in Hollywood. <laughs> You don't even think about it, right? You're just like, uh, you know, imagine that. People with an affectation, right? <laughs> so, you know, we've all got them, right? It's like, okay, great. But it's like nobody would pay attention to it, right? Their shooting nights have turned the set over to the day, to the night crew. And we're the day crew and we were climbed up, up the steps. And we're just kind of like looking, we're sitting on the edge of the roof, <laughs> looking down, just watching, you know, 
everything come together. I, I, I had to I had to make sure and watch the first shot before I could slide out and, and get back to the to the stage. And <laughs> I'm up there with my crew. We're looking down. Snipes is over at the far corner with his group they're getting ready to come on to the to come into the camera area right they get in their formation right they we're, we're just watching they, they walk in and they weave their way through everything on the roof roof get to that the center area where the camera is everybody raises their hand up like this and he goes right on <laughs> right on brother right on brother new pa that just been hired just like little tiny very jewish hair you know, very short and just scrubbly, you know, and he was very slight of build and, and he's all the way on the other side of the roof and he turns and he sees them walking in and he starts running across and he's running and he runs across the stage and, <laughs> and they're right on brother and he comes running at the West Lake Spines and he goes right on brother <laughs> and <laughs> right to his face, right in front of him and I and he was so sincere. And, oh my God. Oh my God. This is this whole oh. event that we have never even paid attention to. And now we're looking down on everybody trying to find somewhere else to look. Yeah, everyone, oh my God. Oh, it was hilarious. It was <laughs> the best moment of my life because even Wesley Snipes looked completely confused. I was like, uh, so what do you do now, huh? <laughs> now all of a sudden everybody's looking at him and not looking at him as hard as they can. <laughs> and he was like, oh! <laughs> Well, did, did he continue doing the whole, uh, oh, I don't want thing beyond that? Oh yeah, no, he, he, he did keep it. He, that was his tradition, but oh God, it was so funny to see everybody just try and find places to move. And, uh, you know, like I was, all of a sudden, you know, it was like, uh, uh, like, dropping um an antibiotic in a uh in a ring of uh bacteria <laughs> it's just, everybody's just trying to get away oh my god <laughs> every man for himself you can imagine oh. people jumping and and here's the thing i want to animate take take my money now are you gonna crowdfund <laughs> this because i'll gladly <laughs> hand you over some money right now <laughs> I think it would be a blast. I really do. And, and TJ's uh, like, oh, yeah, that's story. But there's a lot of them. There's a lot oh, of them. I, I have absolutely no doubt. Um, it's been a blast, Mick, uh, speaking with you. And we're definitely going to have you on the podcast down the line because you've got so much more of these great stories to tell. And um, I'm sure you'll say something in the group and I'll have to earmark it for another time. Don't tell anybody <laughs> but us. Don't tell anybody <laughs> but us. So is this going to be better than Nightmare? Is this going to have more numbers? Oh, well, well, I guess we'll just have to see. I'm certainly going to do my best to uh, get McStrawn up against McStrawn. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, the competition is fierce. Okay. Oh, I know. <laughs> that's all, man. Uh, give, us, uh, give us your uh, social media so oh. we can uh, redirect everybody. Uh, you can always... Uh, you can always uh, DM, uh, direct message me at Mick Strawn. Oh, I don't even know how to spell it anymore. M-I-C-K-S-T-R-A-W-N. Um, and um, what other ways get a hold of me? I ignore my Twitter. Um, hey, I've, I, I've noticed. I've noticed. I, I leave that for Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I've tried to understand exactly what um, uh, Instagram is all about. And I haven't, you know, get a hold of me if you actually send me a message and dm me uh i those are the messages that i get so if if i haven't answered your uh your uh friend friend request because i think i'm about one hundred and fifty thousand behind <laughs> you're a very popular guy yeah i know i have no idea how to deal with that <laughs> 
messaged me, you know. Um, well, that's how I ended up in this whole yeah, uh, scenario. So that's right. It works, you know, you, people. You have to be halfway. You have to be halfway uh, annoying. Either you have to be annoying or entertaining, or a little bit of both. I My, don't know which camp I've fallen into, but either way, I'm glad that it worked. I'm never telling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, from one madman to another magician, let's call this a wrap. We're done. So Thanks, long, guys. Happy New Year. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. All right, Ran Army, there is no better way to ring in the new year than by sitting across with a man that I call one of my dearest friends in the world and when consumes large quantities of alcohol, turns from Fat Tony into... Drunk Tony! Oh yeah, we pre-gamed this one, ladies and gentlemen. We're ringing in the new year the right way, but we're not stopping here. We're going to crack open a couple of inner night Metallica Pilsners. Uh, they're okay. They're, they're, they're beer. Yeah, I've got a couple left they're, they're over. Better, they're not natural ice. So, Happy New Year, my happy friend. Happy New Year. And we're going to be... <laughs> <clears throat> Enter night! Uh, we're going to be ringing in the new year with a deep dive into Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 Leatherface, as it's uh, appropriately known. Very underrated movie. Um, it suffered lots of roadblocks getting to, like, close to final form as we have now I have with the unrated, like, cuts that we have, but it, it, it fell along the wayside. Absolutely, and we're going to be talking about the long history of Texas Chainsaw Massacre from page to screen, and we're going to talk about the the severe cuts of the MPAA and the bias towards this movie all these years later, and whether it is founded or unfounded. So let's hit the ground running. But actually, first, don't you have some uh, shout-outs? I do have some shout-outs to the wonderful girls that live at my house. First of all, to the sweetest midget ever, Evelyn Williams, I love you to death. To the meanest midget ever, I love you to death also, Amelia Birchfield, and to the coolest kid ever, Sadie Solomon, I love you to death kid, and also a side shout out to their friend Kylan, who has helped my episode of Rants from the Black Lodge, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, become the number one most downloaded episode currently as we speak, so thank you very much. Yeah, that I'm going gonna, gonna to drink to all of y'all. Y'all fucking rule. I'll drink as well. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Uh, yeah, that was actually a milestone. We reached this past week. It has been a long-fought battle that uh, the Mixtron-led episode has propelled itself into the number one position in less than a year against an episode that has held that number one spot since uh, episode three of this podcast. Suck it, kiss. <laughs> Yeah, I the the podcast has evolved since then, um, and you know you're not a Kiss fan. I am, but I can, I can. I will give Kiss this: they put on a good live show, and they have like three songs I like. Uh, but you have to be a massive asshole to get kicked out of Fox News, and Gene Simmons actually managed to be banned from there. So congratulations, Mister Mister Simmons. I I appreciate your effort. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, was released January 12th, 1990. However, it was supposed to be released in 1989, which instantly would make it a better movie because it would have came out. 80s movies are better. <laughs> but uh, through some delays, it was released in early 1990. It had a budget of $2 million. And it grossed $5.7 million. So despite the fact that this movie has kind of been swept under the rug and was considered a, a failure in proportion to what they wanted it to be, it did make money. And I'm sure beyond that, you know, home oh, yeah, video DVD sales. sales. And then the unrated cuts and stuff like that, streaming rights. I honestly, it, that movie gets shit on a lot, but... And I have never seen the rated cut. I've seen the the differences on the behind the scenes documentaries and what was shown in the theatrical cuts and versus what was, you know, intended. And I get why people, lots of people, shit on it. But I've only ever known the unrated cut. Well, so. you you live in it. Your fucking phone is on. You turn my phone is on. I am always bitching at you for this. I turned I, I turned mine off. I did it specifically so he wouldn't have to go through this. He can. He, I'll let him like. Punch me in the nuts later. <laughs> it's a big enough target because you're a real man. Yeah, damn right. America. <laughs> um, I, I agree. I think this movie uh, was unfairly criticized in its time, but we're going to get into the deep bushes as to why people hate this movie. Um, but before we do so, let's look at the, the critical ratings of this. IMDb ranks it at a 5.1 out of 10. Which I, I think I, that is a little low. It's a little low, but I get why. I mean, it's not far from where I would put it, but I, I do think that's low. Six out of ten is where I'd put um, uh, Metacritic has it at a 30 out of 100. That's ridiculous. That's That's, that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 19%, but the audience score is 32%. I still think both of those are low. Hold on. Before we get to it, is Google going to back me up one more time? Google is users... As always, uh, a little more in line with what you and I believe is at an 86%. That's that's perfect. Again, Google users, the common man, the common clay, America. <laughs> uh, they uh, they always tend to peg it more how I feel. So. I agree. Uh, same here. And uh, one last one, Voodoo has it at a 3.7 out of 5. I think that's probably the best... Uh, Closest to what I feel overall, it's like this movie is just south of what it could have been. Oh yeah, I, I get that. On Stank Dick Eddie's titty tally, we got a big goose egg. But boo. to be too, I agree, boo. But to be fair, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series was never known for its you know abundance of titties. There, as far as I can think right now, and I am mildly inebriated, I can't think of any titties. There are tits in the fourth movie. Oh, um, and I can't yeah. think of the na actress's name, but she was uh, either a Playboy Playmate or a Penthouse Pet. Yeah, we were talking about this movie right before the podcast. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with that one, too. I've only ever seen it once. Well, I, I do think you're missing out um, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a terrible movie. But there's so much interesting things to talk about. And I agree, how, yeah. how, does, how does that kind of happen? Matthew McConaughey. Renee Zellweger. Oh, Matthew McConaughey with a robot leg, which is which is uh, engaged by a remote control. I only remember the dude with the nipples and Matthew McConaughey putting a shotgun barrel in his mouth, like, and uh, fully cross-dressing Leatherface. 
which we're gonna we're gonna talk about the uh, the sexual ambiguity of Leatherface a little on down the line. Hot stuff. However, people. on Fat Tony's hit list, how many kills we got? <laughs> Seven. Seven kills, which ends up being one kill every twelve point fourteen minutes. Respectable kill count. Um, considering the the time length of this movie, um, that's uh, that's plenty. Yet again, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was never really a body count. Series. No, they're not a high body count. They're a they're an emotional impact franchise. And uh, this movie kind of curtailing that a little bit and going a little more for the jugular, whereas you know two and. And the first one were were more about the scenario and the horror of the moment. I don't know. Two goes pretty fucking far out there too. Like, yeah, but it still doesn't have a huge body. No, count. it doesn't have a huge body count. Like I said, like none of them. There's only one t- uh, chainsaw movie I haven't. I wasn't able to finish the 3D one ever. I've tried. I've started it three times. You know, I saw that in the theater. I'm um, sorry. The beginning of it gives you hope. Yeah, and the whole I mean, time frame of it just makes no fucking sense. But I, I still, I still can't, I can't even shit on it because like it, it, it is a fun, dumb movie. I'll give it another because see, I'm open to new experiences. Unlike Brandon and his refusal to watch the remake of Evil Dead, which well, I will never me, let lie. Trust me, we have a question about that, and we'll we'll get to it Damn. later on. Oh, I don't know. Ooh, this is a surprise <laughs> for me too. Okay, so uh, really to examine Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, we have to go all the way back to the early 70s. Toby Hooper, who directed the original R.I.P. Rest in Peace, uh, great director. Um, he was working as an assistant film director uh, to like documentary cameraman, that kind of stuff, at um, University of Texas at Austin. And he was starting to develop the story about isolation, you know, the woods and darkness. And he was kind of inspired by all the graphic news coverage uh, from the San Antonio news outlets and the real-life murder of Ed, the, Gein? Ed Gein. Yeah, um, which, let's just peg it as it is. Ed Gein is the most important serial killer as far as horror movies are concerned. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he, he spawned... Uh, Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and uh, Buffalo Bill from uh, Sons of the Lambs. So more impactful than, and probably than like even uh, he's should be because Edgine didn't really he killed, he killed like, like two, two, people two people and dug up a lot of bodies. Yeah, but it was just a, such a horrific state. He's, he's a gross man. Nipple belts. Um, there's this like infamous picture of one of his victims hung upside down. Oh yeah, and that's sort of mirrored in this movie with. Uh, uh, what I would call our Golden Boner Award killer uh, for for this film, which happens to be um, Ryan, who's hung from the meat hook, played by the great William Butler. Um, but that that parallels what happened in that. My my point is that this guy didn't really achieve a lot in in a blood soaked way, but he's become infamous more from the lore around it than anything else. With that, we have the framework of what became the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hold on, I have to stop you here. We're talking about... I uh, know from previous episodes that Fat Fuck Scott does not like this movie. Has he ever changed his opinion on that? Because this is honestly... The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my all-time favorite horror movie. It's, it's in my top five... 
And no, I don't believe he has. And, you suck. Uh, you know, the thing is, pretty recently, this is kind of side to that, um, He he's never watched Devil's Rejects. What? I know. And I know, it, it, Rob Zombie films aside, which, I mean, they're, they're very polarizing. They're polarizing and inconsistent, but he'll watch 20 minutes of something like, I don't like it. And that's that. And then, like, that's his opinion. And I have a feeling that, like, maybe he watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I didn't really pay attention to it because there's so much great subtext in that original movie that you don't necessarily have to dig for. But if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss the genius of it. And it's incredibly viscerally unsettling and nearly bloodless. Oh, yeah. There's just a handful of, uh, you know, little drops of blood here or there when they're feeding Grandpa and and so on and so forth. But no, to my knowledge, Fat Fuck Scott is still a piece of shit. Piece of shit. (laughs) And Kiss sucks. Even more now, Scott. Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, cured this from, like, humble beginnings at a $140,000 budget, which was funded by the mob, mind you. So this was uh, the definition of a off-the-books movie. So no one really knows how much money it's made because the, the mob ended up taking quite a bit of that and repurposing it into guns and drugs. Just even more and, badass. Exactly. Um, and it was banned in so many countries. Some of those bands actually stand to this day. They're not really enforced, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a legacy that is probably overblown, but overblown for the wrong reasons, I guess would be exactly. the best way to say, because it really is a bloodless movie, like you like you said, with the exception of a couple little parts, but it's, it's just more visceral because it was shot in such a documentary-style documentary yeah. way. The film is considered... One of the best, and propelled the career of Toby Hooper. He go, went on to do uh, Poltergeist. I do not give a fuck what anybody fuck says. Fuck Steven Spielberg. He didn't direct that movie. I love Steven Spielberg's other, some of his other works. He did not direct Poltergeist. Exactly. So here we are, at like a decade later, and Toby Hooper returned to direct the sequel, which has a strong cult following now. <laughs> but it was reviled at the time. Now, I out here in the Black Lodge, in my hallway, I have a movie poster for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I love that movie because it is a sly social commentary on the first one. It's it's a it's almost poking fun at it, and it was a smart direction to go in. And if that was the direction that would have been taken now, like if it had been like yeah. a sequel now, people would be like, "Oh, this is smart," and and how ingenious. But the it came out in the eighties. It came out in like the, the golden 80s. age of your stereotypical horror films, which I love. I'm not shitting on them. It was ahead of its time. Yeah, way ahead of its we'll time. We'll get into my feelings about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and a controversial hot take I have later. But, um, yeah, I love that fucking movie. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's it's a blood-soaked... It's it's basically the same movie, just on the polar opposite. You know, everything yeah, that the first movie is, the it isn't. However, it didn't land with fans. They reviled it at the time, and then the movie was released uh, unrated, which was one of the last movies released unrated up until uh, Hatchet 2 in more recent years. You know, it was distributed by Canon, and they cut the budget, and the movie, the way the movie was supposed to be wasn't what it was, and it kind of soured everybody on Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a few years. So, here the the, the rights are kind of sitting while Michael and Freddie and Jason, you know, they're, they're making bank at the box office, well, we have that, that height, but then it starts to slow. We enter the late 80s, and Freddy Krueger is kind of starting to wane a little bit. So New Line picks up the rights from Canon to produce Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. And they're thinking, like, okay, we can revitalize this series, 
And it'll kind of take the place of Freddy while he's starting to go out into the sunset. Because we're coming off of Nightmare 5 and going into uh, Freddy's Dead, which is a... Still in the future, but... And I love it, but it's not a good movie. I love it for sentimental reasons. If I viewed objectively, Final Nightmare sucks. But It's the first one I saw in the theater, and I don't have entirely negative views points on it from that end. But yeah, if you watch them all in a bubble, yeah, yeah, Freddy's Dead is not a very good movie. Anyways, my point is that New Line was the house that Freddy built, but they were willing to take a chance on Leatherface, thus... Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and was a more, produced. a more serious, uh, less comedic uh, horror movie antagonist. You know, they, they I think, uh, New Line had even seen that Freddy was becoming, you know, a comedy. You know, they tried oh, to... Oh, by that point, yeah. Yeah, was, definitely. So they're like, well, you know, maybe doing something a little more serious, a little more, you know, hardcore, which that trips him up later, too, and by Bob Shea himself. Um, but, you know, it's this isn't a very comedic movie. Well, speaking about le- the movie, let's just get into it. If you wouldn't mind reading the synopsis to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Mr. Fat Tony. Young yuppie Michelle, Kate Hodge, and Ryan William Butler, driving coast-to-coast, coast, uh, are lured off the main highway and on to a deserted... Texas Road. Here they are stalked by the menacing Leatherface and his deranged family, a bizarre cannibalistic clan with blood on their hands and a feast on their minds. Their only chance for escape is a survivalist, Ken Voorhees. Yes, Ken Voorhees. With enough firepower to blast the depraved family to hell. A despicable uh, shocker of intense terror from the gruesome beginning to the bloody finish. That's a nap description. Uh, yeah, that's pretty bare bones, but it does give you a, a pretty accurate framework of what the movie is like. However, over the course of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series, there is a sequence of events, sort of, uh, what do you call high notes, that these films always feel the need to achieve. So, yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another edition of Trope on It! Their <laughs> 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 face Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 edition. So... The infamous trope, uh, <coughs> dating back to the original, Leatherface's Chainsaw Dance, oddly enough, does not appear in this movie. So that's one against it. Is there a dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3? Yes, there, there is. There has to be. There has to be. That's, to me, is the it's one the one thing that a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie has to have, and it's the one thing that's not in the remake. And it's about family. It is about family. But, you know, I'll give the remake prequel, which I hate, did have a nice dinner scene. But anyway, yeah. Oh, which okay? Well, you're saying the remake prequel? Because I say because the remake maybe, prequel because there are, there are a couple of uh, takes Chance of Massacre at the beginning. Uh, character hung on a meat hook. Damn right! Actually, oh, yeah. the best kill in the movie, in my humble opinion. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Roadkill is seen on the side of the road, um, paralleling the first movie. There is an armadillo. Uh, Kate Hodge's character has to kill it. Or actually, it ends up being William, William Butler because she yeah. refuses to kill it because she's a pussy. Put it out of some misery, you dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's the main thing so, to do. So, yes, the, on that one. A one-off family member. To me, this is one of the slights I have against the entire series. The With whole the, family's changed except for the corpse of Grandpa? Grandpa reappears in most of the films. Yeah. And you have the cook reappear in part oh, yeah, two. That's... But other than that, it's... It's Leatherface is the static character, and then you have a bunch of characters that kind of fit whatever archetype they need for for the yeah. scenario. This film absolutely achieves that, so check for that. Leatherface wears multiple masks. 
He does not in nope. this movie. Nope. You see him making a mother mask in this film, but he never wears it. Here, side note to this: um, there were a handful of hero masks made for this movie. Just hand to God, like this kind of just popped up out of nowhere. But a guy I'm friends with on Facebook actually came into acquire one of like the four hero masks. And here's the funny thing: at one point, he owned another one and sold it. What the hell? So, of the four, he's owned 50% of them at one time or another. I guess and, it's cool to say you've you've done that. And and I believe he donated it, or is it's on loan to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre like, Museum of like well, cool. arts and uh, props and stuff. So, kudos to you, sir. Canon discontinuity. Way before <laughs> Halloween became the poster child of, like, let's just forget about sequels and, and reboot and stuff. This movie... Trailblazed. Uh, yeah, trailblazed. So, yes, there's canon discontinuity. Although, we'll get into a little later on that there are some connections directly to part two in this movie, but you got to squint to see them. So, this, this Ooh, was probably... Ooh, I'm drunk. I'm excited. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> this is the probably the first soft reboot. Of a series, actually, yeah. Now that you say it, I really can't think of anything before. But but I I still commend Evil that Dead for, Two. That, that's probably right because that was what eighty seven. Yeah, but it's still called Evil Dead Two, and I yeah. and I appreciate this movie still being called Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, which is one of my slights against movies these days. It's like they're afraid to number them. Like, number yeah. one, you're making it hard for uh, for people to keep up with what movie came after what. Two. Fuck you. It looks awesome. I look over here on, on the shelf here in the Black Lodge. We got Friday the 13th, the first eight movies, and they're numbered. And you couldn't fucking number nine? If I if, if I find out that Brandon ever dies before his family, I'm breaking into his house and stealing all his DVDs. Oh, fuck my family! You can have. I will. I will will you all of my stuff. It's it's I, here. We're shaking the hand we're shaking right hands on it right now. Fuck you, Scott. You don't earn this shit. Texas Chainsaw Massacre rules. <laughs> That's right. Okay. A Sawyer family member has some form of physical abnormality. That's a check for this movie because oh, the yeah. character of Tinker has uh, one of those prosthetic claws. And, I mean, going back to the original, the, the hitchhiker had a birth defect on his face, a birthmark. Uh, part Chop 2, Top. Chop Top has the, you know, the leather plate in his, uh, leather plate, the, the metal plate <laughs> metal in his plate. head. <laughs> One of the be- one of my favorite horror movie characters of all time, but we won't get into Bill. Oh Mosley God, right love you, Bill Mosley. And the last one on the list, Leatherface destroys a door. Now, right before we started filming this, I started thinking, like, surely he destroys a door. And then I had a kind of a conscience of of like or a uh, uh, crisis of conscience. I'm like, wait a minute, does he? So Fat Tony and I, we sit back and we kind of skim through the movie. And he does not destroy a door. So such a shame because a, a chainsaw is a very visceral great weapon to just go through a door with. Exactly. Exactly. And So this gives this movie a 7 out of 10. So it is very paint by numbers. However, I feel like to me, like the, the two things that a, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie has to have is the Leatherface dance. Yeah. And and the uh and the dinner scene. It does have the dinner scene, kind of. Yeah. But they're getting ready for dinner. But it doesn't have a chainsaw dance. And tonally, I can understand why they probably didn't want to have... Again, I think it's New Line trying to find a more hardcore, serious horror movie antagonist. Where, you know, Freddy tried to, you know, give souls to a baby. That's where they ended up on at that point in time. And then they go full on 3D for the next one. So they're like, fuck it, let's try to be scary. Although I've personally, like, the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie fucked me up. Especially... 
the chainsaw dance. Uh, it is. It's not scary in part two. I love part two. I'm not shitting on part yeah, two. But at you all. Here, here, the thing is that part two was not intended. No, to be a it was scary a pa- movie. it was self parody, and that fell on deaf ears at the time. But I'll tell you who it didn't fall deaf ears on, and that's the director of this movie. Jeff Burr. Now, Jeff Burr was hired into this situation to bring Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 back to its roots, but at the same time, deliver almost on the things that the original didn't. Like, the the first movie is very subliminal. Like, you don't really see a lot of the things. Your brain kind of fills in the blanks, but New Line was very high. Like, we want you to make a viscerally disturbing, fucked up, beat you over the head, chainsaw in the gut movie. And the reason he got that job... Uh, as he directed a handful of movies that you may have heard of. He directed From a Whisper to a Screen. I love that movie. With Vincent Price, who was in Edward Scissorhands, which was directed by Tim Burton, who directed Ed Wood with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted. I th- like. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is that not the longest series chain of events to get to a You Got Busted? Not, that, not really. That, that's Maybe I'm... Not really. I'll be honest, I haven't listened to every episode. I love you, Brandon. I'm sorry. Son of a bitch. The old ones, you know. I'm not on them, but they're worthless. <laughs> <laughs> and no, that's not true. Well, we, we've certainly refined the, the podcast over time, and um, your contributions are, are boundless. Number so. one, baby. Number one, number one, bitch. And, and I also want to point this out real quick. The Phantom of the uh, Kiss Me the Phantom of the Park you had multiple guest comment- commentators, That's didn't true. you? That's true. I'm still number one because it was just me, baby. <laughs> and on that note, uh, Jeff Burt also directed Pumpkinhead 2 Blood Wings, a movie that I did not like for years, and I had a almost a borderline hatred for. And then it got released on DVD, so I gave it another shot, and it I mean, it's fine. I haven't watched it probably since it was at Video West in Morristown, oh Tennessee. Oh my god, that's some old school shit yeah, right there. Yeah, that's how long ago it's been since I've seen that one. Um, did you uh, did you know that uh, our former president, Bill Clinton, his brother, Roger Clinton, is in that movie? He plays the mayor, I, I believe. I think I might have heard that, yeah. I yeah. do, I do, I, like, not before, not from watching that movie again. That was like 25, fucking, or probably not 25 years ago, but... I want to say it was like 1991. Oh, that might be 25 years ago. I probably saw it when it was a new release at Video West. Oh, man. So, anyway... I digress. Yeah, I, I think watching like a Pumpkinhead documentary on YouTube out of boredom one day. Yeah, uh, they, they listen. Pumpkinhead two has nothing to do with Pumpkinhead one, other than Honest, there is a semi-design similarity between the. Honestly, monster. the only Pumpkinhead movie I can say I love is the first, the late great Stan Winston's original. Yeah, that is a great film, and we'll be on this podcast eventually if we have to dig up Stan Winston to get an interview. I, uh, we'll we'll think about doing it. I, I will say this: burying him in a punch. I, I said it before. That's one of the episodes that I will cut Brandon if he does it without me. Right. I will call into work to get up here if I have to. Alright, fair enough. He also did Pumpkin Master a uh, Pumpkin Master. <laughs> fuck. Puppet Master four and five. Which are, are those the Nazi ones? No. Like they, were they fighting Nazis? No. That the the first one that where they fought the Nazis was in part three. That was where they okay. first turned good. They were turned good. Ish. And four and five were shot back to back. Um they they're they're fighting against uh puppet monsters from the Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the those. best left unsaid. They're not terrible movies. Um he also directed Mill Maskers versus the Aztec Mummy. Now I don't know if you remember this, but uh um, I have no clue what that is. 
this. Um, were you around back in the day when uh, the mutual friend of ours, Creepy Sean, and we used to watch these like these Spanish. I think I pro came, wrestling movies from like the 1970s. I came in at the tail end of that because I remember watching one with uh, you and Sean, uh, super drunk. It's, I remember midget zombies or something. It was insane. Uh, it's like yeah, I can't. That's Champions of Justice from one of those. And movies. they never watch them with subtitles, so we just get to infer whatever. Oh, we it wanted. was great because we would just try and figure out what the fuck is going on just from what's happening on screen. They're always bizarre, like really out there. And this was sort of like a a modern take on that whole idea. Um, that movie's actually pretty good, and I would recommend it. Um, you can actually get it dubbed into English. What's the name of the movie? One Mil Mascris versus the Aztec Mummy. Okay. Now, hands down, the reason that he ended up with this film is that he directed Stepfather 2 with Caroline Williams, who's best known for her role as Stretch in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Two, Stepfather 2 is a market below the original, which is a great uh, psychological thriller. But Stepfather 2 is a decent sequel, considering Absolutely. the premise really doesn't warrant a sequel. Yeah, they didn't need a sequel, but the ori- you know, you're coming off very underrated classic. Like, it's not A movie that got, like, mainstream, mainstream critical. Goods. Yeah, and this movie... Did fairly decently with critics. I tried to get my stepdaughters to watch that so they fear me, but they just laugh. <laughs> who who am I here? You need to you need to shave into a mustache and um, beat on the bathroom yeah. door rule. <laughs> because of this, he ended up getting the Texas Chainsaw Massacre three gig after everybody in fucking Hollywood had turned it down. But Jeff Burr being sort of on the cusp of like, you know, wanting to, you know, do potentially the bare bones true True sequel. True to the original. Yeah, to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's like, fuck it, yeah, I'll take on the job. This is him quoted about getting the directing job. It was fairly condensed pre-production for me. There really wasn't a whole lot of time to think about the importance or greatness of it. I was basically just roll up your sleeve and go. It was a bit disappointing because... A lot of time in pre-production, you have the opportunity to dream up what could be. Casting had already been done, but certainly, uh, but certain decisions had been yet to be made. A very condensed pre-production, but exciting as hell for sure. This feeling would not last as the production just soured. There was intrusions from the MPAA and New Line executives. There's another quote for him. At the time, I believed it was a record amount of times we had to go back to the MPAA after recutting the film. I think it was 11 times that we went back. What a lot of people don't realize is after Bob Shea had come into the editing room and he thought it was a very disturbing film and he cut stuff himself. He thought it would be banned in every country, which it ended up being being banned in several countries. But we were, so were the previous two films. It was definitely on the verge of being emasculated before being submitted to the MPAA, and I would thought it just was a just needed a few adjustments here and there, maybe a couple of times go back and forth. But eleven, it was front page news in the trade papers then, and I think that overall tone of the film looked as it was just being nasty. Um, he was fired from this job just shortly going into production, but he was quickly rehired when I said before because nobody else wanted the job. From your perspective, do you think another director kind of going at the time would have been a better fit for this? Personally, can't think of any that would actually deign to do it. 
that could have done a better job. But at the, on the same token, they're firing this guy. And I'm not, not talking about the MPA yet. I'm talking about Bob Shea. Bob Shea, one of the a fucking hardcore, true spiritual successor to the original Chainsaw Ma- Texas Chainsaw Massacre, had he not seen the original. I mean, they're like, oh, this will be banned. This is that. That's what Texas Chainsaw... You're killing people with chainsaws. It's got to be hardcore. It sounds like he delivered. I'd love to see a... Like, I don't even think the unrated cut has completely his vision. Does it? It does not, and we'll get into that a little later later on. I'd like to see that. I mean, that's what the man was hired for and then fired for for trying to do. And the MPA just fuck you for part two, even though you weren't around. Part two just curtailed the MPA and said, fuck you, we'll go unrated and do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, God bless those people at Canon uh, for allowing that to happen. But Canon was time, a crazy fucking film company, but damn it, they had balls sometimes, man. I can't remember which one is still alive, if it's Golan or Globus, but I just I read pre- pretty recently that he got like a $50 million grant to make a new movie, so oh God. Uh, I hope it's Kickboxer 8. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> So, let's talk about the theatrical versus the unrated cut of the movie. Um, and just a little uh, side note to that. This was the final movie to be rated X before the NC-17 rating was instituted. Now, you said you've never seen the theatrical cut of this movie. So, I'll start out by saying, as someone who saw this on VHS, a short time after, probably around 94, so it was about four years old. But I saw it on VHS, the theatrical cut... I was young enough, I was about 10, to not really be the most astute as far as like what makes a movie great as far as uh, cadence and tone and character development and that kind of stuff. But even then, I realized that this movie seemed choppy. Watching it back, the theatrical cut, which I don't recommend, it, this movie is incoherent because it just cuts chunks of stuff out that... I don't know, it's just jarring. It's very noticeable. It wasn't edited in a suave manner to kind of make the things more subliminal. It's very blatant. Watching the unrated cut, you get more of a sense of what this movie was intended to be, but as I'll touch on later on when we get to our fan questions, the intention of this movie was to go even farther than that. I think the unrated cut makes for a better viewing experience, and I think if the not so much the critics, but the viewing audience. If that's the cut of the movie they had seen back in 1990, a lot of the negative press this movie has would at least be decreased by 25%. Yeah, I agree. You know, you're never... It's it's a rare horror movie that's going to get those ivory tower critics to deign to give it a well, good Well, listen, review. I mean, like, you know, Rex Reed, one of the, the big critics of, of his day, gave the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre high praise in saying it was one of the most bizarre... You know, terrifying films he'd ever seen. That's not the exact quote, but something along yeah. those lines. You know, Ebert and Siskel intervening years had demonized a lot of the films that you and I love so much. Well, and R.I.P. both of them, but fuck them in the face. No, I, I, no, I, I have a the way they a, talked about Jason. I have a hate for Roger Ebert, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you. You're I hope a, you're getting raped in hell. Oh my god, that's bad. 
That's okay. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in hell. So, so here's the thing. Like, you're entitled to your opinion. You're, I mean, you're paid to literally have yeah. an opinion. But like, to take it to such a negative, you know, length and basically say you're a shit person if you watch this and you like this. No, fuck you, Roger Ebert. Um, despite the bad experiences that Jeff Burr had working on this movie, he had to say this positively about it. Horror is the only genre I want to work in. Not every day. It's the only one I want to work in, but it's not the only one I get to work in. But I absolutely love it. You have a lot of freedom to experiment and to be subversive. Pretty much anything goes in horror films, and that's the one thing that's exciting about those things, working in that genre. Okay, so here's the deal. Fat Tony and I, or should I say in this instance, drunk Tony and I, before we started recording the podcast, we had a few drinks, and I was just hair of three sheets of the wind, so when I read this quote from director Jeff Burr, it really wasn't what he actually said. So I'm going to redo this for your listening pleasure, so I do not misconstrue the great words of Mr. Burr. So here we go. Horror is not the only genre I want to work in, but I absolutely love it. You have a lot of freedom to experiment and to be subversive. Pretty much anything goes in horror films, and that's one of the exciting things about working in that genre. Horror does allow you a lot of latitude to be creative that maybe other genres don't. Um, like horror and sci-fi, like the out there genres that, you know, take place in more unreal circumstances. I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's not like you're going to see a rom-com push any boundaries. <laughs> That's true. I can't think of uh, any rom-coms that have uh, chainsaw uh, massacres in them. Not any good ones, yeah. <laughs> not any good ones. Not till we make our film. <laughs> <laughs> Loving a chainsaw. <laughs> exactly. Omar Epps, where oh, you Oh, no, no, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Oh, uh, which actually has uh, Gunnar Hansen. Gunnar Hansen, the original uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre villain, Leatherface. <laughs> <laughs> God, this is a fucking movie. Okay, uh, let's talk about a little bit of trivia of Jeff Burr. Um, he attended USC, but he never graduated. Um, not bad for a career, you know, for a guy who didn't graduate. Yeah. Uh, USC's like legit. You know, John Carpenter went there, a lot of. Film greats, um, but he didn't he didn't graduate, but he still ended up having a pretty decent career. And the guys still are out there making movies. So solidarity, my friend. Continue on what you're doing. I alluded this to this before that like everybody kind of down the line had been offered this picture, um, but turned it down in a directing effort. But both Tom Savini and Peter Jackson were offered the role of directing. I'm kind of interested because Peter Jackson was always on the short list during this time. To direct things. He did great horror movies back in the day. He really did. Brain Dead. Uh, bad Taste. Dead yeah, Bad Taste. Um, meet the Brain Peebles. Dead yeah, Meet the Peebles. Yeah, but, you know, I, I kind of, I would have loved to have seen him do something like this before he kind of got, I don't, don't mean to say up his own ass, but like, you know, in the upper echelon of like A-list directors that kind of had, well, I can't, I can't revert to do something like this because it's beneath echelon of a director status I've been put in. Yeah. And the last thing he really got to make 
which is not really like this. It's a more of a, not a slasher movie, but The Frighteners, Frighteners which is yeah. a really good movie. Yeah, fun. Uh, Tom Savini is also another interesting choice because he did the special effects on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, but around this time, he ended up directing the remake of Nine of the Living Dead. So I have to imagine that he probably would have ended up, like, even if, like, maybe he'd said tentatively yes to this, he probably would have dropped out just because, here, you know, Romero was his liege, his, you know, his hero. Yeah, absolutely. And... I think it, probably in long term, more people probably remember the Texas Chainsaw Massacre like, debacle seen, than they do the. Uh, I've seen the remake and and like I remember I've seen it numerous times, but I forgot it existed until you just said it. Well, I, I it's it's a decent, it's a decent movie, yeah. um, but I I I think in in terms of like what has the staying power. Um, people probably flock to this movie a little more just because it's because of its history of kind of being a train wreck. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, sound off at Rance Black Lodge. Uh, here you on Twitter. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just flat out wrong. Jeff Burr wanted to direct this movie. He wanted to shoot it in like 16 millimeter film, just like the original. And uh, New Line rejected the idea. Wanted to, he wanted to shoot it in Texas as well. And this movie holds the weird distinction of being one of the few. I believe up until the other movie that's called Leatherface being the only ones not shot in Texas. And this film was shot in California because the farmhouse had already been built. So they it was an expense thing. Like, we've yeah. already got this location. Let's jump off and shoot from there. Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, not shot in Texas. California Chainsaw Massacre doesn't roll off the top. It, does, well, it doesn't have the same... Uh, oomph to it. Oklahoma Chainsaw Massacre. That <laughs> might have might have went somewhere. <laughs> Boomer sooner. <laughs> this movie was written by David J. Scowl. That's probably a name that like deep deep diving like Fangoria people would remember, but he's probably not like to the newer hipper horror fans. Probably doesn't ring like a uh, a strong. There's not a lot of to remember. However, I'm going to reject that. And uh, lay some knowledge on you right here that he drew, he wrote Critters three and four. Critters three being the on-screen debut of Leonardo DiCaprio. Yo. Yes, we love you, Leo. And part four was in space, making Critters the first horror series to go to space, followed by the Leprechaun and Jason. Leprechaun four is my favorite. It's a, we're gonna we're gonna do that eventually. We'll get. Oh, to that it. has to be blackout drunk, Tony. <laughs> I need to be schnackered. Um. He actually adapted um, The Crow uh, to film uh, for Dimension. Uh, or One of the most then. 90s movies ever. And I love it. Like That's the only movie um, to this day me and my dad bought tickets for, went out, paid for more tickets, and saw it again the second time. Because this is at the time where we go to the mall for free. Oh, those were the days. Oh, yeah, it was great. Uh, Except having to see Titanic nine times. Oh, that no, no man should ever be subjugated to such... Despicable scenarios. The things boys do for pussy. <laughs> that's, that's right. So let's take a drink to pussy. Pussy. So, you know who's in The Crow? Brandon Lane. No. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, hold on. I know where you're going with this, and I'm drunk. Uh, fucking Winston Zedmore. That's Ernie right. Hudson. Ernie Hudson. So you're busted again. Direct connection to Ghostbusters. Uh, more recently, he wrote uh, The Hills Run Red. Um, which it. was a, it was a it was a series, and I want to say was it on Fear Fearnet or Shutter? I can't remember which one. I know, uh, or it. actually, maybe it was Chiller. It was one of those like okay. horror channels, but it's actually pretty decent. Movies aside, David is best known for his literary output as being one of the fathers or godfathers, however you want to 
categorize it of the splatterpunk genre. But I finally remember him for his Fangoria column, Raving and Drooling. Oh, shit. Yes, I remember back, the column. I didn't remember the author. Back in the day, that was that, aside from just, you know, whatever cover story was hot at the time, that was my favorite. Um, this guy was uh, good stuff. Um, a little bit of trivia about about him. Uh, he had a small role in The Lost Skeleton Returns, again, which is the sequel to the hilarious 1950 spoof, The Lost Skeleton of Cadaver. I'm sure you've seen it. it you've, I've seen the original. I've not seen the sequel you're talking about. The sequel about. is not as good. It has one really funny scene, but it's pretty much the same shit you've seen in the first one. But okay. that The Lost Skeleton of Cadaver is so fucking funny. And, you know, it's a purposely made bad movie, kind of, yeah. like, playing off, like, the 1950s, kind of. Uh, there's a there's a, a marionetted skeleton, which is very much out of, like, House of Haunted Hill, and very, very funny. Uh, another way that a lot of people probably recognize him is from one of the many documentaries he's been in, where you, like, uh, either the the Friday the 13th, uh, Crystal Lake Memories. Memories documentary or the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary, which I'm blanking on. Never sleep. Never sleep again. again. Um, But he was one of the people that contributed one of the hundreds of drafts to Freddy vs. Jason. Um, Specifically, he's the one that had the idea that there would be a Freddy cult called the the Fred Fred Heads. Yeah. Oh, man. Of all the things that could have been, like, I I I mean I haven't read the entire script, but his pitch I thought was the best for Freddy versus Jason. Uh, there was one I think it was also Peter Jackson where like people go into dreams to fuck with Freddy because he's just like a powerless loser. Oh uh, yeah, but that wasn't going to be Freddy versus Jason. That no, was, uh, no, that was yeah, never mind. It was, that, that was, was going to be um, part. That was Six? what happened. Yeah, it was it, before they did Freddy. Yeah, uh, Freddy's dead. But I'm drunk. I a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. But yeah, I, I agree. That that was an interesting concept. Probably one that would work better today than it would Again, have been. Again, ahead of their time. So, let's talk about uh, William Butler. The great William Butler who plays the, great. Who plays the character of Ryan. Uh, you've probably seen him tons of things. But he's in Ghoulies 2. You know, I've got to do this on the podcast eventually. We did Ghoulies 1 and... The outcry was very positive. Um, shout out to Ted Nicolau, who gave us a uh, an intro for that episode. Uh, probably better known for his role in Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, being Kane Hodder's first on-screen victim as Jason Voorhees. Very cool thing to be able to add to your list of resume. Um, he was in Arena, great cult following. But he was also in the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead, which we mentioned that Tom Savini directed. Uh, he's gone on to work behind the camera as a writer and director on a lot of things of more recent years. He did uh, Return of the Living Dead, Necropolis, which I'm going to rake him over the coals a little bit. Um, eh, not a great movie. However, I will positively give him every bit of credit for... Um, he wrote the Ginger Dead Man trilogy... He wrote all three, but he actually directed the third installment, and I believe that's Saturday Night Cleaver is the name of that one. Yeah, that's those back are to the fucking 70s. great. <laughs> Roller boogie, man. Roller boogie. <laughs> um, he uh, and uh, in the past few years, he did Demonic Toys Two, the long-awaited sequel to that film, proving that he is no trick pony. He's worked on the FX crew for several well-known horror movies as uh, as well. I mean, from Beyond. I mean, the fucking amazing, movie, terrific movie. Uh, the Garbage Pail Kids, which is just garbage. <laughs> but the effects were okay. The, the effects were okay. 
Um, Ghoulies 2, which I mentioned. Uh, Creepazoid, Cellar Driller, uh, uh, Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone. We'll love uh, you that was forever. one of the best early 90s action movies ever. Um, I think that movie is just now really getting its footing. People, people are, are like, oh, it's the smartest action movie you never realized. Yeah. And blah, and, blah, isn't blah. it funny how like something will come out and like it'll do okay, but like it doesn't really land home because the intention is sort of lost exactly. on mass audience. And then like years later, people pick up on it. They're like, oh, wait a minute. That the movie was fucking genius. Yeah. Demolition Man, very, very smart film. And he also worked on John Carpenter's Village of the Damned. That's honestly probably my favorite non-Superman Christopher Reeves role ever. Um, I think I've only seen that movie twice. And I'm a huge Carpenter fan. Um I oh it came with a box it came with like a three pack somewhere, and like I'll occasionally still watch it when I get bored. I love the climax of it. I, I Carpenter's just, awesome. I just I, you know, oh, Carpenter is my favorite director of all time. Um but it was it was definitely in that kind of dead spot, you know, where yeah. you know, you know, it was, yeah, things were starting to wane a little bit. Um William Butler holds the distinction as being the only actor to have been killed by Freddie, Jason, and Leatherface, albeit he was only killed by Freddy in an episode of the TV series Freddy's Nightmares and not in film, but I'm still going to give it to him. Hell yeah. So I, I want to alert all of you out there in the Rant Army. Let's tweet David Gordon Green, and you've got to cast Bill Butler in a Halloween movie so the circle will be complete. He has to get the... the he has to. I'm going to drink to that. Let's We're going to just drink to that. William Let's Butler and Halloween Butler kills Halloween or Halloween um, but here, here's the thing, and um, I want to give a shout out to our good friend Mick Strawn, uh, who we did love the, you, Mick. who yeah, we love you. Uh, he did the production design on this film. He also did the production design on three and four of Nightmare on Elm Street, and more recently, he worked on Friday Thirteenth Vengeance. So we've got to get him on a fucking Halloween movie as well. So th- these circles have to be complete. <laughs> David Gordon Green, from my lips to your awaiting ears, you have the opportunity to make a couple of things whole and do something that nobody else has done. Give these two people an opportunity to say they did something that nobody else has done. Michael is the last key for both of them. So let's get this done. Hell Halloween yeah. kills, Halloween ends. Whichever one. I'll tattoo David Gordon Green's name on my ass cheek if that happens. I will not go that far. I will. Mick, if you're if you're <laughs> listening, if if this is that important to you, we'll 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 see about it. But uh, I I don't think that I would uh, I don't think I would go that far. I didn't say how big. It can be tiny, you know. I don't know. <laughs> our our other lead, uh, our protagonist of this film is um, Kate Hodge, who plays the role of Michelle. She was in Rapid Fire with Brandon Lee. She was in The Hidden Two. She had a bunch of smaller roles in um, Tales from the Crypt, Silk Stockings, Xena uh, Warrior Princess, Murder She Wrote, Law and Order, NCIS. But she's best known, aside from this movie, for her role in 20 episodes of She-Wolf in London. Oh my god. That's one of those things I just forgot existed until you said it. It's funny you bring that up because I had forgot this existed as well until I did my research. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that show. Um, There's actually an episode of that show where she asks another character if they can stop and rent Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 at a video store. Oh my god, that's awesome. some great stuff. Uh, referential humor out there. There's really not a lot to talk about her uh, beyond her role in the film as being the final girl. Where do you think she stacks up 
I mean, she she's fine. I like that. I mean, the fucking nails through the hand, that's hardcore. Like, and that's something they didn't do in the original No, film. they didn't. Like she's, Sally's just tied up. Like, the Sally sticks out the most to me. The greatest screamer. Str- the greatest screamer in horror movie history, It period. honestly, for me, goes one, two, and three. Like, the original, Stretch, and then her. Well, I, I think you've hit it nail on the head, pun intended. Mm. Uh-huh. Nail through the hand. But Stretch is just so likable that how can you... And part two has a an idea or a difference about it is that there's you know there's two very different protagonists. Um, William Butler is killed off pretty quickly in the film. Yeah. And, but Kate survives the whole movie. I guess you could maybe argue that Ken Fari being the other yeah. the other lead of the film, the other protagonist, but that's a, a pretty severe scratch on his head, but you know, he bounces back. <laughs> we'll talk about that. But I, I don't know. I for me, Stretch I think edges her out. Now I don't wanna like shit on her. I mean she I like her in this movie. She's one of my one of the highlights, but again, to me and my horror movie echelon of my childhood, one and two Hold such a higher place, but she, she she's pretty fucking badass in this movie. She has this one part where um she she almost come becomes like fucking hysterical, and she starts finding the comedy of the moment. Yeah, and, and she starts twirling her hair, and she's got you know the I can't remember if it's a knife or a piece of bone that she's got in her hand, but like there's just a great moment where she kind of flips. It's like all right, fuck you, we're gonna do this. So, I mean, she has her place in, in history, but I, I do think she kind of falls short yeah. in the in the long run. of She's better than anybody in Part 4. Let's make that. She's better than anybody in Part 4, but, again, I know your opinion of remakes. Jessica, was it Jessica Biel Jessica in the Biel. remake? was pretty fucking awesome. I, that's one of the remakes I'll hold up as uh, it, not it, anywhere near it's, as good it's as the, the best. It's the best remake of the original four slashers. Because you haven't seen Evil Dead remake. Well, that, I'm saying it's the best. original. Oh, four the original four slashers. The best horror movie remake of all time is The Evil Dead. Okay, we'll find whatever. We'll maybe, <laughs> maybe one day I'll see. Maybe I won't. I'm a lot bigger than him. One of these days, <laughs> I'm just gonna fucking tie him up and make him watch it. Nail my hands to the. <laughs> nail, nail your. No, no, no. Um, but uh, as I alluded to a little earlier, our other, I guess, protagonists of this film, the great Ken Faree playing the role of Benny, who is sort of like a backwoods survivalist who's preparing for, you know, an oncoming scenario where there'd be war. Right place, right time, motherfucker. <laughs> or wrong place, wrong yeah, time. Yeah, wrong time, however, however you want to look at it. He's one of the most recognizable faces in horror and just I'm really voices just, his voice is really yeah. just awesome too um he was peter in george romero's dawn of the dead that's probably his most coveted role he's got that that infamous line where there's no more room in hell the devil walked the earth it's honestly like in the in the the great scope of like just amazing horror movies it's got to be top 10 top five possibly. Uh, i actually probably for me like i put it it is probably definitely pop five, right behind Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Probably, yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Uh, he was Bubba in From Beyond. The, so great, much. great movie, great movie. You get to see Barbara Crampton and her S&M gear. And the funniest thing about young King, Ken Free before he gained 150 fucking pounds <laughs> um, is that he wears a half shirt in that movie, and that is so supremely 1980s that you yeah, can't help but love it. Um, he was in Death Spa, which is only in the recent you know, handful of years has kind of been embraced by the horror community as being kind of like this wonderful I think I horror saw it like schlocky. two years ago. Um, our friends at the Knoxville Horror Film Festival, they showed it at Scruffy City Hall, 
And uh, I saw that, and um, oh fuck, uh, was it uh, Turbo Kid there? Love that movie. Great, great, uh, great night for uh, for horror, or more so comedy, because that movie is yeah. fucking ridiculous. You've got the killer who um, she uh, she like whips her shirt open, and like her tits have been burnt, and she's like. What the fuck did you think was gonna happen? I got I got burnt. Yeah, it does a really really dumb fun movie. Uh, more contemporarily, um, probably '90s kids will remember him as Keenan's father on 62 episodes of Nickelodeon's Keenan and Kale. I might have saw one episode, and it was not my not my cup of tea back in the day. But it just shows you like he's he's Mid had a late career. Nine. He's had a career outside of the outside of the genre. Mid to late '90s, I was all about smoking weed and pounding poon, pounding poon. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, he was in uh, The Devil's Rejects, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, and Lords of Salem. So he's worked a lot with Rob Zombie. So you got to give Rob credit for putting picking talent. In. Yeah, I mean, he's he's great in, De- in Devil's Rejects. Um, he's got basically bona fide extended cameos in the later two I just mentioned. Yeah, but no, I'm just I, before we move on real quickly. I just want to say a lot of people don't like Lords of Salem. Fucking love that movie. The Lords of Salem. Is to, as far as I'm concerned, visually is Rob Zombie's best movie. It has a Italian wise and totally the giallo kind of weird. Yeah, it's plus they spit on a baby. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Brandon was just about to take a sip of beer when I said that. But like, oh man, yeah, I remember in um fucking uh, Schindler's List where they spit on a baby. Like, let's happens in every great movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Last Temptation of Christ. Last Martin Scorsese was like, hey, Willem Dafoe, I need you to spit on a baby. It's a little known fact. There's a deleted scene in The Godfather, you know. <laughs> I'm going to spit on this baby. I'm spit on this baby. On the, the, on the day <laughs> of my daughter's <laughs> wedding, I'm going to spit on this baby. <laughs> it's an Italian tradition. Okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on. From so, um, the character of Benny, who Ken Free plays in this film, he's killed in the original cut of the movie. Yes. I mean, it's pretty fucking obvious. It's His a chainsaw to the fucking head. But they did a, a test screening. The fucking audience loved him. He was their favorite thing about the movie. So they decided they were going to shoot a little bit of extra film and have him come back at the end with just, I mean, like the faintest it's of scratches. It's like Monty Python's Black Knight. Tis but a scratch. Exactly. So... Never underestimate horror fans' love for Ken Faree. No. Because he's the only man who can survive, you know, a chainsaw to the head and come back completely unscathed. Now, I had the opportunity to meet Ken Faree back in 2006, but I'm going to tell this story through the lens of somebody who actually submitted a question uh, a little later on uh, in our fan question section. A friend you and I both share, uh, Mr. Matt Underwood. Oh. I love you, Matt. One of Ken Faree's acting signatures, and whether it's intentional or accidental, he bums a lighter off of people in a lot of his films, if not fucking all of them. Matt and I are outside at this uh, convention called Ink and Blood or Blood and Ink. I can't remember which one. I've gone through this before. I think it's Ink and Blood because I, I think Matt mentioned it to me when y'all were going. No, you were supposed to go, but you couldn't go, go because you were... Uh, with the bitch ex. Uh, yes. But... We're outside, and Matt's smoking, and here comes fucking Ken Faree. I mean, dressed like fucking Shaft. He's got like a long, you know, a black dust coat on. based on him. Pretty much. <laughs> and he's like, sup, man? Can I borrow that lighter? And Matt, Matt's knees fucking buckled, because he knew it. He knew that him 
borrowing a lighter off somebody <laughs> was like his signature. And he's like, oh, yeah, here, Mr. Free. And he's like, thanks. And then he walked off. And I'm pretty sure that's one of Matt's uh, claims to fame in life. That, that and when me and him met Jerry Only, and he's like, that's not Jerry Only, that looks like Rob Schneider. I forgot about Wait, that. Wait, a buff Rob Schneider. We found a backstage pass. Jerry Only was the... <laughs> Probably the nicest rock star I've ever met, and weirdly enough, followed by Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins was super fucking nice. I've met, I've met Henry Rollins as well. Uh, I met here. I got to go backstage to Henry Rollins, uh, one of his uh, spoken, spoken word, word things, oh, when I, I worked you. at the newspaper, and we talked about Wrong Turn 2 and Friday the 13th for like 40 minutes. I, he I, was a really cool guy. It was. I dropped Matt and a few other guys off at the a concert that I didn't go to, because my girlfriend at the time was 17, I was 18. But I scared him while he was eating. Scared the shit out of him. But he was super cool about it. Signed an autograph. Said I was a great boyfriend. Blah, blah, blah. Super nice. Jerry only though. Matt, like, he when he hugged Matt, like that one-arm shoulder hug, Matt's knees buckled. We love you, Matt. We love you so fucking much, man. Let's let's redirect back to, to Ken Foree. Ken Foree. Um, Foree. Was great from, you know, I met him as well that day. I got his autograph. And, and we, we talked a little bit about Dawn of the Dead. And this is right after he done Devil's Rejects. And I actually asked him the question. I'm like, you know, hey, man, what, what's up? Are, are they... Are they dead? Or are they gonna come back? And he was like, "Oh, they ain't fucking dead. They ain't, nobody's ever dead in this business." <laughs> and here we are, a fucking decade later, more than a decade later, and they fucking survived. I still haven't seen it. I want to. I, I'm sure it's not as good as Devil's Rejects. No, it I is. Still... It is not. I, I I was fine with it, but um, he, that's what you told me. I'm, he, uh... he he was. He's he's not in the new movie. Oh, yeah, His character yeah. is dead, but they the rest oh everybody of else everybody else survived. He's been quoted saying about fans, "I enjoy people, especially people who like me." Conventions and film festivals are where fans congregate. I can't speak for other celebrities, but for me, nothing is better than watching movies and talking to the folks. Who love me? Call me crazy, and I really did get that feeling in meeting him that he was genuinely joyous. And trust me, you can tell when someone does not want to be at these things. Yeah, I've seen that too. <coughs> Andrew Devoff, but <laughs> Ken Faree was not one of those people. So Ken, you get you get an absolute salute from the Rants well, from Black Lodge podcast. On okay, that front. to be a rich and famous celebrity is one thing, but you know, a lots of celebrities of his caliber, and I'm not shitting on him, he's a fucking legend, and I would give a nut to meet him, but like, they make their living from meeting people who want to meet them, who are happy to meet them. That's how they make their living. That's, you can't, I can't think of a better way. I know, it doesn't, it, but, but here's Porn the Porn stars gotta bleach their assholes. That, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Dar- Darcy the Mail Girl. <laughs> Darcy the Mail Girl. <laughs> We love you at Kinky Horror. Um, but you can tell he's a legit horror fan. He's been quoted saying, I am a fan. You know, I grew up where the scare me to death kind of chills every Friday night on Chiller Theater or whatever the Friday night scary movie series was in my hometown. I grew up with that, wanting to be afraid and terrorizing my brother. I, I can't say enough nice things about Ken Fury. He He really is one of those identifiable people in the genre that's... When he sadly passes, it's going to leave a ripple that oh, it just. Man. I don't want to un- think about that right now. Just, it's not going to be the void will not be filled. We will add another shot to our pregame ritual. Right now, the tradition is Odin, Lemmy, and Dio. Ken Forhey will get his own. Tr- 
traditional shot. That's right. We love you. Uh, a little bit of trivia about Kim before we move on. He was entered into the Phoenix International Hall of Fame for Horror and Science Fiction Film Festival in 2007. He believe he belongs in any horror yeah. science fiction hall of fame you got. Ever. So, right now, I'm going to induct Ken Faree as the very first inductee into the Rant Army Hall of Fame. Ken Faree. Hell Faree. Hell Faree. I'm going to make that into a shirt. Hell yeah. <laughs> Shaun of the Dead, a uh, great zombie film, very comical, but also works as just oh, a good great. Zo- it, it, zombie it, it, film in of itself. But if you notice this, Shaun works for 4E Electric, oh, yeah. which is a loving nod to Ken. So Ken's uh, legacy goes deep. And it is very and it wide. is eternal. In talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, you can't ignore the elephant in the room and that being Leatherface. He's the centralized character of all these films, for better or for worse. So let's let's talk about him. He's played by R. Hey Mahalhoff. I believe I'm saying that correctly, and if I'm not, I greatly apologize. He's a big guy. He'll fuck you up. He <laughs> is a big biker looking <coughs> motherfucker and I had a chance to meet him earlier this year and through bullshit I didn't get the chance um, but I do know a couple of guys in our group who did get to meet him. They, they posted pictures uh, when we were asking for questions for this so thank you for those. He does seem like a genuinely nice guy. He's been in a ton of things both you know in front of uh, the camera and some uh, stunt stuff. But he did uh, License to Drive with Corey Haim and Corey Feldman and Carol Kane. Who's in Scrooge with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters, busted again. Uh, he was in Transfers 3 um, with uh, Tim Thomerson. Movies. Good I stuff. fucking love those Transfers movies. Um, he was also in Pumpkinhead 2. So there's, yeah, well, yeah. there's almost like a little... Uh, Hey, it's you got to you got to eat, man. Bill Bill Burr kind of you know took people from this and repurposed them for Pumpkinhead Two, or was that made first? No, that was made. It was made at, made right after this. Yeah, um, he was in Hatchet Two, which was another movie which was released unrated. The first of the modern era. It lasted a week. Oh yeah. And uh, if you ever want to hear uh, a frustrating audio commentary on a film, listen to the audio commentary of the film for Hatchet 2 because they bleep out a good chunk of stuff because I I rented it just because Brandon told me about this and tried to listen to him like no nah, I'm done yeah Adam Adam Green uh, for legal reasons could not mention things so uh, yeah fuck that whole scenario Hatchet Two great is movie awesome that that movie does not leave anything out on the table mm. they 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 go hard with it uh, more recently R A was in Death House which is the Expendables of horror. And I wish it lived up to what it could have been. I still haven't said it. I've seen it on streaming service. I think it's on Netflix. It's probably worth at least once view, one view, just for the enormity of the people they got, which I'll run down real quickly. Uh, Bill Mosley, Tony Todd, Adrian Barbeau, Kane Hodder, Gunnar Hansen, one of Gunnar Hansen's last films, by the way. Um, D. Wallace, Barbara Crampton, Michael Berryman, Sid Haig, and yet one of his last films. Brink Stevens, Tiffany Shepis, Lloyd Kaufman, Felissa Rose, Larry Zerner, Sean Whalen, and Danny Trejo. They they got basically everybody with the exception of Bruce Campbell and maybe one or two others, but they... They did something impressive as far as casting. I just wish the film could have lived up to the premise. Maybe I'm a I'm a pretty positive, uh, optimistic drunk. I'll get drunk and watch it one day, and I might like it. Yeah, I mean it's probably it's it's worth one view. So R. Hey Mahalov plays the role 
of Leatherface. We gotta talk about Leatherface's character because to me it's the it's the black sheep of the series. And this is what I mean by this. If you look at the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre from '74, Gunnar Hansen based his performance off of patients he had witnessed while visiting a special needs school. His function in regards to the family defined by whatever mask he's wearing at the very moment. And there's a weird, like subtle psychosexual element to his character that only appears in a couple of the films. I feel the character suffers in parts two and three as a result. Now, Leatherface in part three is portrayed as if he's entering kind of like his teenage Angsty rebellious teen. I years. like that. That's one thing I was going to say. I like I like his portrayal in this, like when he makes fucking dude reach in and get his fucking Walkman. And oh, like, the, yeah. And the, the, the see and say shit. Like, I like the angsty teen well, version he, he's, of Leatherface. He's way less subservient and he's more aggressive and I think the portrayal works in this movie, but it, it, I'm left wanting more in depths of a psychological level yeah. from this movie. Because well, I, for me, like that's what makes the first movie so effective, is that he wears many hats. Like, you have, uh, Le- there's Leatherface the Killer, who, the Butcher, the I guess. The Butcher, yeah. Who, you know, the, the traditional Leatherface mask. And then there's Leatherface the Mother, who's preparing the meal. But then there's Leatherface, you know, the, the pretty woman who shows up to Dinner because it's a it's a gala affair and you know where's the lipstick and the and the rouge and the blush and stuff like I think those elements make the character more interesting as opposed to just a hulking brute with a chainsaw. Well, there like is nothing less subtle than a goddamn teenager. The angst. That's teen- true. I mean, that's true, and that's what they were going for. I I agree. I like the variety of hats. The original Gunnar Hansen Leatherface. Where that's why again, why it's one of my. It is my favorite horror movie of all time. We we kind of or you rather kind of touched on this a little bit, but there's the infamous speak and spell scene. <laughs> I love it. Where he's, you know, sitting at his bench and he's got this speaking spell and it's a picture of a clown like on the LCD readout and he keeps putting in F-O-O-D. <laughs> I feel like this scene, if it had been in part two, would have been the highlight probably Honestly, of that movie. Honestly, yeah, you're probably, because like the speaking spells or whatever, those existed then. That Honestly, that would have worked better with the, the self-parody of two. I, I like that it gave this some, some I, humor. I love this scene. I absolutely oh. love it, but I feel like it sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie if you put it in the context of like the tone they're trying to set. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of like torn on it, like because I, I love its existence. I just feel like it doesn't fit the movie that it's in. Two or next generation. Uh, no, it it would have been too subtle for next generation. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. Way, way too subtle. Um, let's talk about Leatherface's his being the central oh. character of all these films. The first movie is a an ensemble film. Like Leatherface, obviously, is iconic because he's got that. The, he has the weapon for one, yeah. and he has that chainsaw dance at the end. So your lasting impression is him in the movie, but he's the least evil of the cast around him. Now, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 has, you know, brings back the cook and you've got Chop Top who Fucking steals, this absolutely steals the That's movie. That's his movie. But I feel like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and this is not a slight on any of the side characters who we'll get to in a few moments, but like, it's, it leaves me, I don't know, 
like this is Leatherface's movie, but I feel like not having a strong core of side characters no, kind of hurts it. They, they, there's some bare bones stuff with Vigo Mortensen's character and the other guy, and I really like the guy at the the gas station, like the oh yeah, Alfredo. Yeah, I'm not worthy to receive you, bitch. When he's like <laughs> peeping on her, like praying, like a grace. But you know, it's like none of them. It's like a sketch compared to a finished drawing. They knew what they wanted to do with Leatherface. Angsty teenager. Big hulking brute. Fucking hormones and craziness. Everybody's like, oh, there's this, and there's the mom, and there's the, hey, there's a little girl. Oh, he makes pretty babies. (laughs) That's Leatherface's daughter. He likes imparts. He knows how to use imparts. I mean, this movie does have some great fucking scenes in it. Like, that really got to, like, ooh. But, um, he's not only a murderer, but a rapist. And I don't know why that was worse, but it's worse somehow. That's one element I do think that kind of fits perfectly with the Leatherface oh, character, yeah. albeit I, I, I feel like he shouldn't be he shouldn't be a willing participant in it. I feel like he should be bullied into yeah, these he, things. Get that shit, boy! Get it! <laughs> Although in part two, he's starting to come yeah, into his oh, sexual he, own. Yeah. But he, doesn't, he doesn't rape Stretch. Stretch got those legs. He's trying to woo Stretch. Yeah, he shows her his large chainsaw. That dance scene with the her friend's skin on her face, you know, that's romance. <laughs> There was supposed to be a scene um, where Leatherface was going to be unmasked and he was going to be deformed, and they they scrapped this because they they I guess they assumed there was going to be a sequel and it ended up not happening, so they reused it in the 2003 remake. I am not in favor of Leatherface having a facial deformity. No, I'm not I, either. I agree. I think it is way more effective if it is just a fucked up family and he wears the mask because of psychological deficiency. That's reasons. one thing I really liked about this latest prequel movie. Can't remember the name of it's it. It's just called Leatherface. Leatherface. <laughs> I really liked it. You think it's the big hulking brute guy. It's not. That's one thing I'm like, they did it fucking right. I mean, it's not a great movie. I think it would have been a decent movie had it not been a Texas Chainsaw Master. Yeah, but I, I did, since it was and they did, I did like them not going for the obvious Leatherface. The, another big talking point for this movie is is the enormous chainsaw. Now, reportedly, the chainsaw weighed about 80 pounds. You can't help but identify this movie with Part 2, which it obviously ignores, mostly because of what's engraved upon the blade, and that's the saw is family, which is a line that Drayton Sawyer says in Part 2. Sex. Well, no one knows, but the saw is family. My biggest complaint... He doesn't fucking kill anybody with the goddamn chainsaw. No, the only person killed with the chainsaw, except for Ken Forhey, who's just a, it's a head scratch. It should have been him dead, but it's the, the chick against the tree, and it's just like a regular. I feel That's like- one reason. Okay, one of my favorite, just speaking of chainsaw kills, favorite ones is, I think, Attach It 2 with the giant chainsaw where they bisect those dudes. Oh, yeah, they're up their balls. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's why that chainsaw is in the movie. It's like, okay... Yeah, Leather- we're going we're gonna to do this right. Leatherface <laughs> didn't get to use his giant chainsaw in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, but he did get to use it in Hatchet, Hatchet 2, 2, or it used against him. One of the more interesting things about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 uh, isn't even in the movie. It's It's teaser trailer so let me set the stage for you if you've never seen this it's one of the best or worst depending on how you look at it so you have a sweeping you know shot of a 
beautiful landscape. They're near a lake, and you come to the back of someone staring at the lake, and there's narration, and all of a sudden, a, a chainsaw slowly arises from the lake, shoots to the hands of what turns out to be Leatherface, and lightning strikes it. It's very much like Excalibur, you know, the Knights of the Round Table pulling the sword from the stone kind of moment. But the thing is that it's so fucking goofy, I can't help but love it, but I don't feel like this really captures the spirit of the movie, like... At all. What do you think about the teaser trailer? Okay, first of all, it's one of my favorite horror movie teasers ever, but it does not capture the intended tone of the film. Like, at all. It's, it's, again, that would have been a great one for part two. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, yes. That would have been, that would have actually been perfect. Do you know who plays Leatherface in the teaser trailer? No, who? Kane Hodder. Oh shit, so he's. (laughs) Okay, hear, hear, hear me out. So, with that being said, Kane Hodder, who is best known for his role playing Jason Voorhees four times, has a distinction that no one else has because in Jason Goes to Hell, he plays Freddy's arm. Yeah. And he's also R. Hey Mahalhoff's stunt coordinator, so he plays Leatherface in some shots of this movie and in the teaser trailer. So he has played Jason, Freddy, and Leatherface. And I know he has, on multiple occasions, said that he really wants to play Michael. Come on, David Gordon Green. Uh, One no, shot. I, I, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't I, fit the body type. I love you, Kane, but you're too big. Now, if it was, if we were still in the uh, Rob Zombie continuity, you know, fine. He's still given. too short comparatively to. Um, you're probably right, but that one fucking Tyler Maine. Tyler Maine. He's like. Just shy seven feet. Uh, I just feel like he's he's not the correct body type. Somebody do a fan film, okay? Not not canonically, not theatrically. Just do a fan film for him. Kane Hodder's awesome. I, I Kane Kane. Uh, every time I've ever met him, he's been nothing but gold to me. So Kane, you got my vote of confidence. Just not in an official film. No. Um, I tell you who does get my vote of confidence in this movie, and that is Joe Unger playing the role of Tinker. Now, Joe Unger has a a, a back story, also kind of connecting back to another horror icon, because he plays Sergeant Garcia in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. When when Nancy goes to the the police department yeah. and she's giving one of the the cops behind the counter shit, well that's that's Joe Unger. He was in Mask, uh, the Rocky Dennis one, not the not the Jim Carrey <laughs> one. He was in a uh, Roadhouse, the Bodyguard, um, Pumpkinhead two. Seeing a connection here. Yeah. Um, Altered. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It was made by the same people who made um, the Blair Witch Project, but it's about a bunch of people who who over the course of their lives have been abducted by aliens. No, you told me about it. I've never got to see it. Though. And they actually capture one, and it's it's a like a almost like a home invasion movie. They're like they're they're torturing this alien outside. You know, they're they're trying to get in. It's a really good movie. I, Sounds I sexy. I can't talk about enough. Of, <laughs> positively about that but the thing negatively i want to say about joe unger in relation to this movie who otherwise i I think is great when benny shows up to the farmhouse and starts shooting through the windows he has a line that has always bothered me and he says i'll be in hell for breakfast the reason i hate this line is because it adds a at least on the surface area, a layer of like religious dogma that I don't think is applicable for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like they're they're not like unholy hellions or anything. They're just 
They're just fucked up people. So I don't know. For like for him to like equate, like, oh, I'll be in hell for breakfast, that to me just doesn't sit right. I don't know if it bothers I you. I never thought about it, but yeah, I, I see your reasoning. I'm sure just when David Scowl was writing this, it just sounded like a like a cool line. I don't know. Probably. It just it tonally doesn't fit for me. They're devout Presbyterians. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, they, they realize that they've damned themselves eternally, so, you know, but, you know. Uh, a little bit of trivia about Joe Unger, and something I didn't realize until a couple of days ago I rewatched this movie. One of his character quirks is that he wears a, an earring, which is, you know, fine. But yeah. if you look at, at it through the lens of, like, 1990, I'm sure subliminally they're trying to, like, paint a little bit of that weird psychosexual stuff onto him. And if that's all there was, man, it would be really under under the surface. However, after rewatching this movie, I noticed something that kind of changed my viewpoint of this movie a little more in the positive. At the very beginning of the movie, when... Michelle and um, William Butler's character, Ryan, uh, when they're driving the car and there's the the armadillo oh, yeah. that is in need of basically being put out of its misery, it's wearing an earring. I had never... Oh my I, God, you're right. I had never noticed that. I watched it the other night. Oh my God. And it, it genuinely gave me chills. I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on here? There's a little more to this than under the surface and I kept watching now there's a part where there's like a you know a desert road chase and Tinker's driving this truck and it's got you know like the the animal skin the front and but anyways they throw a coyote at the the windshield of the car that they're driving from one point of the country like California to Florida or wherever it's going and the fucking coyote has an earring as well okay I gotta go back and rewatch that I didn't notice that one the other night so Instantly, like, I'm more interested in this movie than I had been before we decided to do this episode. So, I, I don't, I really don't, I don't know, like, if there's more of that in the script and it just was chopped out, or if it was just like, let's just put little things in there and see what happens. But either way, like, I think that's genius, um, just because it makes the character more interesting. Um, yeah. You know, beyond what you know, yeah, I never room. connected the dots till you've just told me. So, um, this is not uh, from this movie, but Escape from New York, one of Carpenter's Fuck better yeah. movies. Snake Plissken. Snake Plissken. For life. Now, do you know that there was a prologue to Escape from New York that was excised from the movie because of pacing issues? Yeah. Um. Well, you actually I've see the. That, uh, yeah. You get to see Snake Plissken and another character who happens to be played by Joe Unger um, when Snake Plissken is apprehended. This scene was like talked about for years. And I, I think I first read about it in Cinema Fantastique back in the day, but until late 2000s, they released the two-disc edition, and you finally got the deleted scenes, and you got to see it, and like, wait a minute, I know that guy. That's fucking Tinker from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. So, um, he's technically in that movie, one of the more infamous deleted scenes from any movie ever, because it gives a little more backstory to the enigmatic Snake Plissken. But you want to talk about enigmatic. My favorite character from this movie and the person who comes the closest to filling the, the awaited shoes for me of Chop Top comes in the role of Alfredo, played by Tom Everett. Now, Tom has had a pretty interesting career. I mean, still going, mind you. But when we get to his backstory, it's it's going to 
change your entire view of this character. And it'll give you an appreciation for how good of an actor he actually is. Uh, But aside from that, he was in The Exterminator. He was in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. He's got a blink and you miss it uh, moment at the very beginning where they're taking Jason's body back. So he's one of the the cops that's holding the... Or a cop or coroner or one of those people that's holding a flashlight. Okay, he's not one of the people trying to put the axe in a sandwich bag. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, so he was in Beverly Hills Cop. He was in um, Death Wish 4, The Crackdown, and Messenger Death, which are both Charles Bronson movies. Uh, he was in prison with Kane uh, Hodder. Kane Hodder, who did the special effects, but yeah. also with um, the guy who plays Tex in this movie, who uh, went on to play um, the Fuck. fucking Return of the King. Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen. Shit. We'll talk about him a little later on. He's in Die Hard 2, Dances with Wolves, Air Force One, Transformers, and he's in This Is 40 with Paul Rudd, who's going to be in Ghostbusters Afterlife. Busted you got, again. You got, like, pre-busted. Exactly. Boom. So. Brandon and I both cried at that trailer. I'm just Oh, saying. I did. I fucking When I saw the tears. spores, mold, and fungus and realized there were Egon's grandkids, uh, yeah. Oh, man. It broke my heart in, like, all the best ways. All the best ways. Anyway. Um, Alfredo's claim to this movie um, is is a strange one because to me he's the most interesting character and it's all he's also the most frustrating character because they don't give you a lot with him but what he what he does is so (laughs) memorable um he he has a part where he's dumping body parts into into i guess uh, like a mog or you know a little part of like a runoff of a lake or whatever swamp and he's like no tell me motherfuckers what i should (laughs) do it's just it i don't know if that was in the script or if he made that up but whatever it's pitch perfect but i want you to think about that that he has basically what you could equate to as a song in this movie because this guy is musically above and beyond what most normal human beings would be his acting critics credits don't really reflect how in-depth this guy's acting training goes and his musical training um his acting teachers were Martin Landau, Olympia Dukakis, and the very illustrious uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier, who, who encouraged him to study at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. For those of you who are uninitiated, like that's a legit place that like they don't let just anybody into. You have to be like a legit, like top tier, like one percenter on both. Acting and in music. I knew none of this. That blows my fucking mind. I, the, you know, in doing these researches for the for the podcast, um, a lot of times it's pretty cut and dry. Like you know, just finding out what people have done beyond what you knew. But then you kind of go down a rabbit hole with somebody, and you're like, motherfucker! Like I kind of expected Viggo Mortensen to be the most in depth. I went to somebody. Yeah. No, it's absolutely <sighs> Tom Everett. In regards to his classical training of actors, um, this is what he had to say. I truly believe that the MFA and the BFA programs should have their own vision of the Dale Carnegie course for actors and their programs. Talent is talent and business is business, and many actors don't necessarily have the most developed social skills. Thank God that a number of drama programs are now incorporating the business of acting into their curriculum. Now, what's important about this statement is that he understands that... A role turned down is a role that goes to somebody else. Exactly. So he took this role, I'm assuming, out of like, well, you know, it's exposure. I get money out of it. 
and he's continued to work as the you know the movies I just laid out over time. But going back to the musical aspect of him, he released an album on RCA Records in 1971 entitled Porchlight in Oregon. This guy is seriously musically inclined. He was the first chair cellist. Cellist? Is that how it's pronounced? Cellist. Cellist. Um, at the Walla Walla Symphony Orchestra while attending his first two years at Whitman College in Washington. This guy... So he's like 20 years old in first chair. Yeah. That's a big fucking deal. So, even yeah. Even if it this, is Walla Walla. He's probably better known for stuff than what we would even equate him with. Like, he's a legitimate, uh, dramatic stage actor and has a, had a you know an interesting music career, and we're um, and here I am yeah. thinking my favorite scenes is him saying grace before peeping on a woman <laughs> using the bathroom. <laughs> Not worthy to receive your bitch. <laughs> he's, he's feeling he's he's this part where he's at the, they're at the gas station. He's like, yeah, you're gonna like this bitch. He's like yeah. putting he's sticking the 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 fucking um uh the nozzle of the gas uh, receptacle into the car. Yeah, bitch. I slighted you, sir, and I do apologize. <laughs> I, I think that is the most vast, uh, interesting chasm between highbrow and lowbrow I've ever seen yeah. uh, from somebody. So, God bless you, sir. There's a very, very interesting take from, you know, the storied history of Texas Chainsaw Massacre to classical music. But when you want to talk about classic, uh, as far as actors go, and the one who probably gives the best performance in this movie, um, maybe not the most memorable, but the best performance across the board has to go to Viggo Mortensen playing the role of Eddie, a.k.a. Tex. And you're also talking about psychosexual elements of this movie, like, that's really kind of, I mean, it's not heavy-handed with him, but, like, the, the feminine apron, the nurturing aspects of him in family life. Like, there's a lot of interesting, I can't say subtle because it's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre okay. movie, but subtler-ish. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's kind of, I, I appreciate that you noticed the other things because there's another element to the sort of the semi-psychosexual stuff with him that if you're not looking for, you may not notice. On a few of his fingernails, there's fingernail. Polish. Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna, I was gonna get to that. Um, and only that, that one. I'm, I'm really bad for noticing things like that. But they mentioned that, and like the, I think the behind the scenes or something I watched on some documentary. But like, he's, it's really well acted. Bill Mortensen, you know, Aragon had some dark times after he he split up from Frodo <laughs> and all that. Like he he had to go on his own journey, I guess. But you're talking about peaking early. Yeah. And then your later years, it's like, well, like, fuck, what else have I, I got to go Lord on? of the fucking rings or some... His, his acting career doesn't really need a rundown, but for the sake of argument, let's do it. He, he was in Witness with Ferris, uh, Harrison Ford. Good movie. Um, Prison, which, yet again, fuck we've kind of yeah. gone over through that. Um, Young Guns 2 with the Mighty Duck Man. Emilio Estevez, among others. He was in uh, Carlito's Way with Al Pacino, who was Jack and Jill with Adam Sandler, who was in I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry with Dan Aykroyd, who was in Ghostbusters, busted again. Uh, he was in um, The Prophecy with Christopher Walken. Fucking love. He was Satan, wasn't he? Lucifer? He was, yes. I love the, the the first Prophecy movie is... I fucking love it. It's one of the few now, like 90s movies that I can say I fucking love. Now, do you movie. know who Lucifer is in part two? It wasn't Danzig. Was it? it is Danzig. It was Danzig. Yeah, I knew Danzig Dan was one Danzig. of them. Uh, he was in Crimson Tide, Gian Jane, and he is a motherfucker in that movie. It's a great movie. It is a really good movie. And I... Okay... 
this is like the the point where Demi Moore is like the height of her like 1990s hotness, and for her to shave her head in the movie, I mean, that was, was a, that was a good t- choice. I mean, it was oh, a yeah, brave choice. It was a brave choice, but it was a tonal boner killer when I'm like, you know, in my pumping a, a nut out every 20 seconds kind of deal. And I'm like, Stripe what the fuck? What the fuck did you do? Now, that was, she redeemed herself. Yeah. And an, an old up with a Burt Reynolds. <laughs> and her old, was it Penthouse? Where she like had the full on hair diaper badge going on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like just super hairy, but like spread beaver. So oh, good on man. you. Yeah. We don't have enough spread beaver in movies anymore. <laughs> Hashtag spread beaver. <laughs> um, he was in a perfect murder, really good movie. He was in the remake of Psycho. The less said about that piece yeah. of shit, moving the better. on. He was in um, more recently. He was in Appaloosa. He was in a History of Violence and Eastern Promises, where which David were both Cronenberg. Three, David Cronenberg, yes, both Oscar worthy performances. Um, but he's best known for his uh, role as the. The king, you know, yeah, he who returns, returns apparently. <laughs> uh, Aragorn. Um, no, I, I love those movies. You know, I'm not like a huge Star Wars or or Lord of the Rings. I kind of like all. I like a enough of all the nerd properties to like. I can't wait for December 20th to go to the new Star Wars movie and be like, "Where's Captain Kirk?" Really loud. Wow, a bunch of. I almost got in a fight in episode one. So it was great. I want to see if I can make it happen. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'll get your bail money ready. We'll we'll make this happen. uh, A little bit of trivia about Vigo. Um, He was nominated for three Oscars, all well-deserved. He was named one of the top 50 most beautiful people by People Magazine in 2002. I want to to highlight this for a second because, listen, I'm not a woman. I don't know what women find attractive, but... From my perspective, Viggo Mortensen kind of looks like he got whacked in the face with a ten pound ten pound bag of what the fuck. Like, so I don't I don't get it. Like, there's some women or some men that women say, "Oh, he's sexy that I can get like a Brian Reynolds or a Ryan Gosling or whatever." I don't find them attractive, but I can get it. Viggo Mortensen, a little rat face for me. I, exactly. I mean, he's a cool he's dude. Like, I mean, it seems like. I mean, he only took Lord of the Rings because his kid wanted him to after the Stuart Townsend was too young. Yeah, and look how that worked out for fucking Raul Julia. His last movie was Street Fighter. I think he he made the made a good decision by listening to his kid. Not lis- listening to your kid will make you end up being in the Mario Brothers movie like Dennis Hopper. You know what? Okay, yeah, it's a horrible movie all the way around. <laughs> There's no amount of drugs that make that worth it. At his request, he was allowed to do all, not some, all of his own stunts in prison. Now, Kane Hodder, who was the stunt coordinator on that movie, he respected him so much for this that he actually ended up giving him a crew t-shirt after filming had wrapped. Now, the reason I want to point this out is because... Vigo did not have a good experience on this movie when it comes to stunts. While filming a fight scene between he and Benny, who was Ken Faree, yeah. they're at the truck, and Ken Faree popped Vigo so hard in his ribs that he broke them. You see him fall to the ground, and you can tell he's fucking hurt, because like he should be like selling his back injury from falling down, but no, he's, he's very much favoring. Why do they always use the takes where he gets hurt? There's the rib ribs in this. I was aware of that. And then like when he broke his toes in Lord of the Rings, when he kicked the helmet that wasn't a prop, like it was a real metal. And they use that take where he breaks his fucking toes. 
So, yeah, I, I think maybe he got a little bit of a taste for like, oh, I'm a stuntman now on prison. I can do whatever the fuck I that want. That movie's budget was just so low, they were glad to not have to pay for a stuntman. That's probably true. Oh, uh, But, you know, I'm sure after this injury, he had a drink or two. Something that you and I are very much familiar with. But if you out there in the Rant Army would like to play a drinking game as it relates to Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, well, here's your opportunity to drink it. Get in, man! So here's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 drinking game. Take a drink whenever a character was presumed to be dead is still alive. And there's going to be a couple of those in this movie. Uh, take a drink whenever a victim is referred to as meat. You're going to yeah. get, you're already you're starting get to get smashed. buzzed. Take a drink, drink whenever a blunt object is used as a weapon. Alright, you're on the cusp. You're getting there. Take a drink whenever a character becomes hysterical. You're drunk! You yeah. are fucking drunk. Be be sure to use a low proofed alcohol in this, unless you're a professional stunt drinker like I am, <laughs> uh, or you could die of alcohol poisoning. Yeah, or uh, AKA being a bitch. Being a bitch. <laughs> I mean, if you die from alcohol poisoning, obviously it's it's nature's way of weeding out the weeds. <laughs> exactly. Take a drink whenever you hear Leatherface's leg brace squeak. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And this is only recommended. For the men among the you. drunk Tony VIPs, yes, chug for the duration of the time you hear a chainsaw being revved. Yeah, only every ch- time. Only chug beer. This is not a liquor game. Yeah, that that will that will put you that in will kill you. Grave. But I mean, you go out like a fucking champ. <laughs> so let, let's talk about a little bit of trivia about the movie. Confusingly, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three is the first of two films in the series to be called Leatherface. Now we touched on this a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but the most recent film is just called Leatherface, and it is a prequel in continuity with the '74 film, but also within uh, the uh, remakes. Texas Chainsaw 3D. Oh, 3D film, one, yeah, which was a dr- Direct sequel to the to the original. I know it's a confusing timeline. Um, Caroline Williams, who played Stretch in Chainsaw 2, has an uncredited cameo in this movie at the very beginning when they're driving through and the, the mass grave has been discovered and she's playing a reporter. So as much as like they want to disavow part two, I have to give credit because they did the still arc. throw a couple of things in there from part yeah, two. Yeah, I remember. I actually knew that one. And she doesn't have any lines. She's literally just smoking a cigarette. Yeah, just yeah. real quickly, while we're on the mass grave thing, that's a great way to like set up the atmosphere of this. That whole scene, and as they're driving and talking about the body decomposition, the toxicity of it. I, that's honestly like. I love that fucking scene. It's it's also the part of the movie where you get to hear the the bulb yeah. sound one one or two yeah. times. So it is a, it's a nice way to kind of build the tension and set the mood for for the movie. The Sawyer's house was also used in Alice Cooper's music video for House of Fire. I knew that one too. Yes. Weirdly enough, like I don't know normally know a lot of the trivia minutia, but I did know that one. That's from that's from Trash. I want to say it's like nineteen eighty. See, he had that movie by knowing what album, what year, but yeah. you know. Yeah, it was like 89, and I think like the, the follow-up album, Hey Stupid, came out in 91. So this was like Alice's return to, uh, to success after years of alcohol abuse and um, borderline. Awesome. Well, his albums didn't really, really reflect that. I didn't say musical <laughs> awesome, just awesome in general. 
<laughs> yeah, but he took a he took a whole detour of like, well, let's let's make some new wave albums, and they're they are fine for what they are, but they do not hold up. Um, the ending with Benny surviving was not directed by Jeff Burr. In fact, he didn't realize that the ending had even been changed until he saw it in the theater. That's fucked up. Yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> at this point in like the whole the whole shebang of things, like he they just, were they just they were fucking done, and like let's get, let's crap this thing out and, and take our losses. Yeah, which um, they still turned to profits. Yeah, but. they they did. A couple little uh, side characters we have we didn't really touch on because there's really not a lot to to go with, but I wanted to to point out here. Miriam Bird Netherly, who plays the role of Mama, she she had a decent career, but her biggest thing of to, to bring up is that she was actually the wife of cult actor Clue Gulliger. Uh, he was in Return of the Living Dead. Okay, he was yeah, in yeah, uh, yeah. Number of Street, not Marilyn Street Two. Yeah. Which spoiler alert may or may not be on the podcast next month with an interview Ooh. with the director Jack Shoulder. You heard it here first. Whoa. Um, you know, a family, a family affair of horror. Did the little girl ever do anything? Oh, worth it? oh yes, oh. Jennifer Banco, who plays the little girl. Is presumably Leatherface's daughter in the film. They kind of allude to. He makes pretty babies. Yeah, he knows how to use them parts. Um, she's also in Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven with William Butler yeah. and Kane Hodder. Oh shit! I gotta say, um, I'm friends with her on Facebook. I've reached out to her a couple times to do an interview or you know an, an intro or whatever, and she's never even seen the messages. And you know the reason that she's never seen these messages? Hot damn, little girl grew up. She is a fucking bombshell. And I'm sure she gets so many messages from people like, hey, look at my dick, that she's like, I'm not going to look at that yeah. because it's probably some, I get some, that. some asshole. So, Jennifer, I don't harbor ill will that you won't, you haven't responded or even seen my messages, but I do want to say that you are a very, very attractive lady and you are a pretty decent child actor because she's a memorable component to this film, which is different than the other the no. other two first films. She does get to pull off the best kill of the movie, though, doesn't she? She's the one that pulls the pin. In, oh, and in, the the, in the unrated cut, she is the one who pulls the pin that slams the uh, the sledgehammer into Ryan's head. In the theatrical cut, it's more. It, I mean, she's still doing it, but like it's, you don't it, see it. The editing is so bad that I saw some before and after things, so I kind of get an idea of the editing. But again, it's that. Let's get to our fan questions. We're going to wrap this up. All right. This comes from Ben Hopkins. I know that part three usually ranks somewhere in the middle amongst fans of the series, but I'm curious, which of the series do you consider the worst? You want to take uh, that? The fucking 3D one. I haven't finished it. I've seen all the other ones. I've even seen Next Generation. Now, again, Brandon has seen it. He said it's fun or whatever. Maybe I'll get smashed one day and try to watch it. I'll, every time, the, the two times I've given serious effort to watch it, I've been sober. Maybe that's wrong. Listen, the sheer fact that it has Alexand- Alexandria Daddario in it, near naked. I mean, gives- I'll watch True Detective and see her naked naked. Okay, well, she's near naked in this movie. I mean, she's fucking hot. Let's, oh, yeah. my God, yeah. She's... I, I I wish that we lived in a, in a society that would allow someone to really be a scream queen and not be like a bad thing because exactly. I really think she she would be great in yeah. that role. Let's just put her in fucking everything, and um, we can see a lot of side boob. I mean, she didn't have to give full, the boob. full. She didn't have to, you know, mm-hmm. just a little side boob. Make her a little more respectable, or she could be Linnea Quigley, who I fucking worship and adore, and show it all. Yeah, puss and all. <laughs> okay. Um, my worst of the series, um, 
Fuck, it's 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 an unfair question because all I think all of the movies have something about them that make them interesting. But I'm gonna go with the newest one just because. Do you mean Leatherface? By Leatherface. Okay. And the reason I go with that movie, even though like it would have been a decent movie in of itself, it just doesn't feel like no, a Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, I agree movie. wholeheartedly. All right, this question comes from Allison Hunt, and this is one you're gonna have an uh, vested interest in. I'm assuming that Brandon still hasn't seen the Evil Dead remake, but I'm curious on your feelings about. Fede, and I'm probably mispronouncing his name, Fede Alvarez, helming the next film in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Now, those of you that are not familiar with his work, he directed um, Don't Breathe. He also did uh, the Texas, not shit, the Evil Dead remake. But he's going to be helming either... i my lips right now, people. <laughs> either, either as a director or at least as the executive producer on the direction the Texas Chainsaw Massacre holds. I, I liked Don't Breathe, but I, I laughed a lot more than I probably should have. Um, there's a part where you get a, a fucking turkey baster full of I cum. think that was meant to give you a cathartic relief. I think that was meant to be like a ooh, gross laugh. Well, I saw it in the theater with Fat Fud Scott and his wife, and I was the only person doubled over laughing, and I got everybody turned back looking at me like, well, look at this motherfucker. Hey, me and you both would We been. have such fucked up senses <laughs> of humor. Yeah, I don't even know what we're We're not even human anymore. We've evolved to the next state of existence. My, my lovely, lovely lady, Sarah, told me specifically to come up here to Brandon so I could pour some of the black bile that builds in my heart out. <laughs> and I had to tell her, like, it's a never-ending reservoir, but our, our humor is horrible. Yes, uh, the things that we say in um, in private uh, would shock and awe most people. So um, be proud that we keep this shit to We're ourselves. Keeping, this, is, this is me keeping it classy, folks. I'm on board, sure. I mean, it couldn't okay. be any worse than anything that we've had before. Okay, no. This motherfucker, I swear to God, I'm, I'm losing my buzz right now because we only drink a little bit. You know, we're being Poor shots and I've, I've drank almost Poor shots and a beer. I drank, I drank my beer because I'm not a pussy. But uh, I'm going to hold him down to watch fucking Evil Dead. It, all because of a post-credit scene. A post-credit scene that you can just stop the fucking credits and never know it, never watch it. I don't, I don't approve of that shit. It's, it's, it's... Stand on your own or don't have anything to do with it. Well, okay, I get his point, but, like, I would love to see him helm a... Te- like, I want to see him direct a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, because it'd probably be... And, again, I'm not sure what, 03 was the original remake? Yeah. Like, at the time that movie came out, it was relentless as fuck, and compared to what you were getting in horror cinema at the time, I fucking loved it. That, that, it still holds up okay. Um, I watched it not long ago. Our, our friends over at the Movie Crypt, they did a full-length commentary for it back with their Patreon backers, which I'm a proud supporter of, and I would suggest that you do so as well. And I hadn't seen it in a few years, and it really does hold up. I hate a lot of the, not so much the casting, but I hate all of the names of the characters because they just don't feel like 70s names, and Jessica Bill does fine in the movie, but I think the movie would be better suited if it had been an unknown rather than like, let's shit somebody from 7th Heaven in there. But I still hold true that that is the best of the four slashers that's the one that was held with the most reverence. It did its own thing, and it achieved everything it should have achieved. And Freddie and Jason and Michael on down the line have pluses have and negatives. Major flaws. 
I, I agree. I agree. I, I I happen to like Rob Zombie's Halloween. I, 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 I am I'm I one of the fine. only few people I know that I really like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I don't like anything else but Jack Earl Haley's Freddy, but he is so vile in it the, that he carries it over the line there, for me. There are some good ideas in that movie. It's just... I, execution, execution versus intent. Is, I agree, and I realize I'm biased, but... Anyway. All right. Well, here's something I think both of you and I can agree on. What do you think of the soundtrack of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3? That comes from our good friend, Matt Underwood. Shout out to Matt Underwood. Now, Death Angel and Sacred Reich both I mean, get like yeah. fucking horns up horns from me. Up. But if I had to... Uh, I know that's his intention is talking about the actual soundtrack yeah. of this movie. But... Um, scoring-wise. Scoring-wise... The thing that makes the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre so effective is that there is no music. Uh, yeah, the, again, the documentary feel of it, the the, the bare bones, grittiness. Fat fuck Scott, you're just wrong! Yeah, he, you are wrong. Taste is subjective, I get that, but in this one case, it's not, and you're wrong. <laughs> Fuck you, Scott. I'm gonna show you a picture of what Scott posted last <coughs> night. No one, no one's gonna see this um, unless he releases it because I don't want to get in trouble. But I'm gonna tell you right now to celebrate Friday the 13th. A drunk fat fuck Scott thought it would be a wonderful idea to order pizza, but greet the pizza delivery man wearing nothing but a championship belt and a hockey mask. And there's pictures of this. Okay. And I saw too much of my bro's nuts. M- mad props. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk back a little what I said. That's pretty fucking awesome. So at, at the time we're recording this, it is Saturday the 14th uh, of December. Great parody movie. I love it. Yes, uh, to be released uh, when you're hearing it uh, at the earliest uh, December 1st. Or sorry, January, January 1st, 1st. New Year's. Happy New Year's. But yeah. Uh, fuck awesome. you, Fuck you, Scott. You redeem yourself a little bit at this point. Yeah, right? yeah. Good, good on you, man. Okay, this question was a late edition, so I wanted to make sure I get it in. Um, the film was distributed by New Line Cinema, who brought the rights of the series from the Canon Group. Initially, the film was given an X rating by the MPAA, and they made cuts and got it up to an R rating. They later released an uncut version on DVD. Now, the question is, is there any footage that didn't make the uncut version? This comes from Norse Side Cadaver. Hold on, i got to stop you. I also asked that same question to Brandon when I came here, because it was side by side. So, good question. Yes, yeah, a very good question. Um, thank you for uh, adding it, um, albeit uh, I had to handwrite it onto my printed-out notes. Uh, it was so. that good of a question. It was that good of a question, so I do appreciate it. The theatrical cut is 81 minutes long. The unrated cut is 86 minutes long. Now, the X-rated work print, which is located right behind the ass of, uh, of uh, Fat Tony back here, is 87 minutes long. So the long and short of your answer is, yes, there is about a minute of footage that is still left out of the official release. By all accounts, what I have been able to see, it's not so much gore stuff. It's like dialogue and stuff that was just cut out more for pacing. Even though, like... There are things I like better about the X-rated cut. I don't, you know, I don't really care for Benny surviving, especially, not so much that he survived, but the way he survived. The original cut of the movie has a different ending, which you can see in the theatrical cut, but a lot of it is just dialogue. 
So it's not so much that there's like gore and stuff cut out. It's just uh, an extra minute of expository dialogue that doesn't really add up to much. The one thing, going back to what we were talking about with the music, that makes the X-rated cut worth watching, aside from the fact that the quality is absolute dog shit, is there's no music in it whatsoever. And it hurts the movie in some parts, but there are parts of the movie where just the stark silence is so fucking confoundingly real that I I imagine that, like, this is probably why Robert Shea, Bob Shea, yeah. ended up in the cutting room, like, oh, fuck, we can't have that. You know, like, let's cut this shit out. It's just too much. Again, like, you know, he, he paid for something, got what he told the people he wanted, and then, like, oh, it's too much. All right, this uh, question comes from Stank Dick Eddie. How badly did this movie need Chop Top? So bad. Well, actually, okay. A real, like the honest answer is every movie needs Chop Top. I want to see him in the in the fucking next Pixar movie. But <laughs> realistically, oh my god, John Lasseter, let's make a Chop Top animated film. <laughs> That'd be fucking great. Uh, Chop Top's life. Um, <laughs> but with the tone of this movie, it wouldn't fit as much as I want it to. Like again, if, if anything, Chop Top would have been more applicable for the fourth movie. Oh God, that needed some. dude. If Chop Top would have popped up with the weird nipple dude at the end, I would love it, and I would have seen it like multiple times and not just the once. And I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch? Listen, I, I think tonally the the movie didn't need Chop Top, but at the same time, it's like it would have made it better. Everything. Um, this also comes from Stank Dick Eddie. Why is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series timeline more confusing than Halloween? Well... They just stopped giving a fuck, I think. Of, of the four big slasher icons, Leatherface really is riding off of the wave of success of that first movie. And yeah. no movie they have released since then, with the exception of Part 3, which they immediately followed up with a movie, the beginning, that just was too derivative of what it had just done. Like, they just didn't have the the license to do anything with it in a creative end, I guess. Like, Part 2 is the exception, because they really did something different. It was too far after the fact, and it was le- released in a time where satire just didn't land with no, the genre and the uh, going satire. I think that's one reason why Freddy was so popular in, like, the social satire, but I don't think audiences at the time knew that's one of the elements they liked about yeah, but it. Still, those movies still delivered on as, as slasher movies. Yeah, they but, did as straight like, like, okay, the movie isn't comical until you get, like, to Freddy's dead, but, like, yeah. Freddy was comical, but the movies were still semi-serious. Whereas Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is just, like, Balls goofy out, from like, the get-go. Okay, that bitch. Lick my plate, you dog dick! <laughs> Uh, this question comes from Titty Flippin' Travis. Do you think Leatherface cut the skin off other dudes' dicks and used it as a condom? Well, in context of this film, no, no he didn't. He because, makes babies. Because he makes babies. He goes raw. Now, did he use the skin of other dudes' dicks to make his own dick thicker? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like just around the, the base of the shaft. Not even like the whole shaft, like a half shaft. Like, uh, not girdle of boosty, I can't think of the proper <laughs> word. But yeah, you know, just because just he's a romantic. He knows yeah. what to do with those parts. Yeah, he does. And he made like a little clit, a clit uh, stimulator. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the serial it's, killer it's equivalent it's, of a rabbit. And it's fucking gas powered. That thing's powerful. <laughs> he uh, cranks that thing and it's just like, <laughs> the buzz is back, bitch. <laughs> 
All right, so <laughs> one more ridiculous question from Titty Flip and Travis. Do you think Leatherface let rigor mortis set in and compared dick sizes with his victims? Well, rigor mortis wouldn't work for a wiener because it's a, it's a vein, not a muscle. Yeah, yeah you idiot. Plus, you don't know plus he's got a big hog. Let's yeah. just be real. Yeah. He, he's probably packing at least 10 lamps. And, it, and it's serrated. <laughs> it's, it's serrated for her unpleasure. <laughs> All right, before we close up shop, because it is, you know, it's January 1st, it's 2020, we have a brand new year to look forward to. I thought it would be kind of fun for, for you and I to do our New Year's resolutions. Uh, you want to knock yours out? Well, I'm going to, first of all, I'll get a, a couple serious ones out of the way first. Uh, I will stop, my, my, one of my major New Year's resolutions this year is to stop mailing the Queen of England pictures of my penis in a figgy pudding. I don't uh, know why you would stop that. Well, she's not worthy. Um, Fair enough. I'm going to go to Kate Middleton now. Secondly, she, she she may be queen one day. That's a smart. That's a long game. I appreciate there your. There you go. See, I'm 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 thinking. I'm it's 40 chess people. Uh, I want to be a a better father to my girls and you know person to the people they bring over. Um, maybe not do so, so much cocaine with a 13 year old. I think she might be getting a little, a little dependent. Yeah. You need um, to be at least 14 before you start blowing. Uh, it's my new year's resolution to, um, again, be the best man I can be for my lovely woman, Sarah. And it's also my new year's resolution that, um, I'm going to get anal from her this year. 2020 is my year. I haven't, I haven't pressed the issue much. This is my year. Um, I love you, Sarah. Well, the ball's in your court, bitch. Yeah, exactly. Spread them How much do you love me? (laughs) Happy Uh, New Year. You know, uh, but, uh, I, my New Year's resolution, and I mean this to everybody in the Ran Army, 2020 will be the year Brandon A. Lane watches the Evil Dead remake. I swear this on Dio. Lemmy and Odin. Oh Jesus! Well, I don't know how we're gonna live. You're gonna live I mean, I might have to resort to violence. I want. I want it to be cooperative. All right. Well, what are uh, yours? Good, good. I hope uh, for your sake you live up to your end of the bargain. I, I don't know how you're going to achieve this goal. But, I'm bigger than you, man. Uh, That's just it. <laughs> All right, fair sheer enough, fair force. Enough. Fair enough. Um, my New Year's resolutions, personally, is to meet a redheaded, green-eyed Asian and to shoot DNA inside of her. And uh, professionally, I just can uh, I watch? Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Somebody's got to hold the camera. <laughs> and uh, professionally, is just uh, the continued growth of the podcast. And I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who continually listens to this nonsense that we pump out every month. Uh, you guys are great for sending in your messages and all the uh, the comments we get back. You know, on the various platforms we're available on. I'm not on all the time, but I want to say thank you too. And again, thank you for making Nightmare Four number one. Fuck kiss. <laughs> I think that's going to close up shop for another month. We will be back in February to spend Valentine's Day with the man of your dreams with a full-length interview with director extraordinaire Jack Shoulder. And we're going to be talking about all things A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and... uh, It's time for Valentine's Day. It's the most romantic one. Sure. Um... (laughs) 
<laughs> um, Lisa from that movie may disagree with you because Jesse Gay, he's quite gay. Um, but we're going to be talking about all the interesting uh, ins and outs, yes. uh, figuratively and literally, about Freddy's uh, Revenge, which is a polarizing film. But I think both you and I are in agreement. Oh, a it. really underrated film Absolutely. in the canon. Till next month, I want all of you to follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rance Black Lodge. Subscribe to the podcast on one of one of our many platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Player FM, iHeartRadio, and don't forget to stop by our homepage at JuicyKruger.com. Till next month, Rant Army, keep marching.